The Wrestling Memory Grenade is proud to announce the launch of WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade, the WrestleCopia brand. You may be asking, what is WrestleCopia? The name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Grenade, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently, What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Hey guys, we're back again with the Wrestling Memory Grenade, episode 28. This is the post-Clash of the Champions 9 New York Knockout Fallout. We're closing out the month of November. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Steve Ekstad here. He's even having a beer, enjoying himself. Steve, welcome back to the show. Yeah, it's been one of those weeks, man, but I'm glad to be back. Absolutely. We're glad to have you back. And oopsie, I made another mistake. I forgot to do last month's VIP Jobber of the Month. And here we are already in the middle of November, so I think we need to knock that out. And we're going to do that really quick. As I narrowed it down to two guys, and Steve, on the other side of this uh, quick soundbite, I'm going I'm to let you make the choice. So it is time for the October 89 VIP Jobber of the Month. All right, Steve, listen carefully. we got two choices here. And before you jump the gun and choose Lee Scott, I just want you to listen to everything first. Because the two finalists are Gene Ligon and Lee Scott. On one side, you have Gene Ligon, who wrestles the Midnight Express, the Dynamic Dudes. Then the Midnights and the Dynamic Dudes in an eight-man tag. Then the Midnights and Doc in a six-man tag. You see a pattern here? He also wrestles the Skyscrapers, the Z-Man, and again the Midnights. And if that wasn't all, he was even part. He even got to do a promo. Remember the promo where Lex Luger beat his ass because he was talking about Brian Pillman against Lex? Yeah, of course. So... Gene Ligon, in the matter of October of 89, wrestled seven matches, four of them against the Midnights. So you know Jim Cornette was doing the booking on the TV matches, the squash matches. They must have uh, really enjoyed being able to get in there and work with Gene Ligon, obviously a consummate professional. They knew they could depend on him in the ring. Uh, so seven matches plus the, the uh, Lex Luger attack 
spot for Gene Ligon here. On the other end, we had Lee Scott, who wrestled the Skyscrapers, Midnight's in the Dock and another six-man tag, Terry Funk and Muda, Road Warrior Animal, the Dynamic Dudes, the Z-Man, the New Fantastics, Terry Funk and the match where he actually slaps the Funker. You remember that one? And he gets a spinning pile driver on the floor for his troubles there. And even Norman the Lunatic. So Ligon, seven matches, plus the attack storyline with Lex Luger. Lee Scott, nine matches in one month. Um, so you basically just narrow this down to the Gene Ligon getting the shit kicked out of him by Lex Luger. And then Lee Scott getting destroyed by Terry Funk. So it's whichever you prefer. Lee Scott's man, he's he's the VIP jobber of the of the year probably. Um, so I'm gonna let Gene Ligon join the club here. I, he got he got a promo, and whenever a jobber gets a promo, you know he's doing something to where people are comfortable with him. And I'm assuming since Cornette knows like the higher ups don't really give a crap about the Midnight Express, right? He wants in there with dudes that are gonna be professional. There's not gonna be any reason for a mishap or something like that to where they could point to and say, yeah, you guys are looking a step slow. So the fact that Cornette kept on going back to him and wrestled him this many times tells you he felt pretty comfortable with Gene Ligon. So uh, let's go ahead and just add him to the club. Let's get Gene Ligon in there. I like that idea. I, at least Scott's been in there. I think he's won damn near half of these already. So it's kind of like that case where some of the most popular kids keep winning all of the awards in school, so they start having to give it out to some of the other people that maybe are just a little less deserving. But I don't think Liggins is necessarily less deserving. He's been around the block for quite a while. He certainly deserves a spot here. And, and I agree with you. It's no coincidence or accident that Ligon wrestles the Midnights four times in a one-month period with Cornette doing the booking of the squash matches. So absolutely, Gene Ligon, welcome. To the VIP Jobber of the Month. Excellent choice there. We're going to have another tough choice next week when we do the November Jobber of the Month. But before we get there, there's all kinds of news. And one of those news bits is, believe it or not, the NWA finally got a second tag team title belt for the Steiner Brothers. Coincidence, Steve? They waited until the birds lost the belts before they actually paid for a second one what do you think can't say i blame them they probably would end up losing it again yeah <laughs> the way they partied <laughs> so demelts uh, good good on them yeah i uh i thought that was kind of cool i i think it means a lot when you see the steiners both with belts um they they look like championship material and they deserve to have both belts out there i wish michael hayes had never been even been able to hold the belt and just let jimmy garvin walk around with it but it doesn't matter it's uh it's off their waist now and onto the steiner brothers also, it's noted to Melt's notes that Brian Pillman is out of action with a knee ligament injury. I actually looked up results, and it looks like Pillman's out for about roughly three weeks following Clash 9, but he will return before the end of the month, uh, before the end of the year. Starcade will now be an Ironman tournament and an Iron Team tournament. That's two different round-robin tournaments. I wrote, shit for Starcade. Make this a Clash or another gimmick pay-per-view throughout the course of the year. Save the I Quit match from Clash here. And put this on Starcade. That might have actually drawn for the pay-per-view. Instead, Starcade winds up being two round-robin tournaments. Throwaways, if you ask me, for what used to be the granddaddy of them all. Definitely not, by 1989. No, they make sure of that here. <laughs> if anybody was worrying about that, uh, Jim Hurd puts the end of that. Because it was, according to Jim Cornette and others, Jim Hurd's idea to do this Iron Man tournament thing. So that's... Everybody can thank Jim Hurd for this. 
Uh, we go on. More news. Sid Vicious collapsed on November 18th at the St. Louis airport when the broken rib he suffered during the Clash of the Champions 9 also caused a punctured lung. The latest reports on Vicious is that he will be hospitalized by midweek, November 23rd, and it was doubtful he'd be able to return until next year. I don't know if he has complications. I don't know if it's softball season, but I don't think Sid returns for quite a while into next year, at least in the ring, to be honest with you. So Sid Vicious is, unless there's matches in the can, which could be possible here. Uh, other than that, Sid Vicious is gone from our lives here in 1989. Sad. <laughs> Sad state. I'm sure a lot of job guys are happy, though. Lots oh, of job sure guys happy. are happy right now. Absolutely. In more news, there's been yet another change in the Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson situation this week. As of press time, Blanchard is no longer coming into the NWA. Arn Anderson is set to debut finishing up at Thanksgiving in the Survivor Series for the WWF. Of course, he also wrestles on the Saturday night main event that follows, but that was actually taped before the Survivor Series. So Arn does finish up Thanksgiving night. As for Tully, everything is now up in the air. And of course, we know he doesn't ever come to the NWA unless you count that one slamboree. Later on down the line, NWA officials are claiming that hiring Blanchard right now could be a potential public relations nightmare for Turner. So they're backing off. And for those who don't know, it's because Tully started dicking around, not really giving a shit. He was trying to get fired or they, they put their notice in. they were leaving the WWF. And at that point, Tully didn't care. And he winds up failing a drug test for cocaine and Turner and Jim Hurd specifically and others in the higher ups <clears throat> didn't want to touch him. And Cornette even puts, put, pointed out that he tried to salvage this, uh, make it a good thing. Uh, let's send him to rehab. Then we can say how Turner gave the guy a second chance and, and this, that, and the other. And they, they, it was a no-go. They wouldn't do it. And the shittiest part of it all, Jim Hurd changed Arn Anderson's $250,000 contract to a $150,000. Took $100,000 away from him because he said he wasn't as valuable without Tully Blanchard. So Tully indirectly screwed Arn a whole lot of money. And I'm not blaming Tully here. Uh, it seems like Jim Hurd used to get a lot of heat with this, but it's really unfortunate for Arn. Wow. That's ridiculous. Why are you messing with his money? He didn't do the drugs and fell the test. He came to you, came back. Yeah. I mean, that's a hell of a lot of money to take away. You want to take Especially 20... 1989. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Quarter I mean, of a million is uh, more than a half a million now. And you cut yeah, that, you know, so... cut that almost in half. Wow. I'd be pissed at Tully, but again, it's not, I mean, it is his fault, but it's not like they were all on Coke. Let's be real. But you hire yeah. Buzz Sawyer at the same time. <laughs> well, WCW wasn't doing drug tests. So had Buzz been uh, in the I'm WWF, I'm sure he would have been, you know, Buzz did have a very brief stop in the WWF back in 84 when Vince was pillaging everyone. And it was a very brief stop, Steve, and you can guess why. <laughs> well, yeah, like, <laughs> You could tell why. You know this dude's on something, and he, he's probably—he's not worth the headache, to be honest with you. But um, that's just ridiculous. I, I get it. I, I see where they're coming from. It makes sense. Like if it came out that they just got fired for drugs, and you immediately hire him and bring him in and put him in with the horseman, as if nothing happened, and you're not punishing the guy for mishaps and things like that. I get that makes sense from a public relations side of things, but you shouldn't affect Arn because what Tully did for one and two. I like the idea that Cornette has. Why not? Why can't we just send him to rehab for like two months or hell two weeks 
They say, hey, we sent him to rehab. He's clean. He's passed 15 drug tests. We're giving him a second chance at life here. And let's see if he can honor it. And if he messes up one time, he's gone. But you can't. At that point, you're kind of protected because you did give him that opportunity to get better and do better for himself and right. earn the spot instead of just giving it to him. But it sounds like once Jim Hurd gets his mindset, he's just stuck in that, and you ain't really going to change his mind. Yeah, and to tell Arn you're you're not as valuable without Tully Blanchard, um, I guess I see that thought process, but Arn proved that differently, obviously, when he came back. He didn't need Tully. I mean, he probably was even more successful beyond, but... Well, yeah. I don't think, I think that I don't think that you is, cut his dollar value because you think he's a tag team wrestler and this is the team, and so now you're yeah. now you're not you're worthless to me, really. Uh, it makes complete sense to me, to be honest with you, what he's thinking, just because they did just spend the last year in the WWF as like the top, one of their top tag teams, and they had a pretty, I wouldn't say super lengthy, but they had a pretty decent title run. Yeah, and I'm I'm not uh, against the so taking like, a few bucks like from. It, it I makes mean, sense, I think like the last. Last thing we seen was them as the brain busters. So they yeah. are that tag team entity. Whereas the, when they were the horsemen, they were just, they would team up, but they weren't actually a team team when right. they were in the horsemen. It was all four of them. So I no, see where he's coming I'm from. Not, that's what they, I'm that's not what even against is. him deducting a little bit of that. And I, and I feel bad for Arn that he has to deal with any of this. But 100000 Holy shit, man. Holy shit. That's a lot of fucking money. I guess it didn't matter to Arn. He still signed. So. Well, yeah, because he couldn't go back. He'd already quit the WWF, so he already kind of burned his bridge there. So he really didn't have any options. It was just kind of, well, you Herb, have to take this. Heard had him by the nuts. Yeah, pretty yeah. Much. That's exactly what it was. We'll See, kick things off here. You go to this shitty AWA. <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is on life support at best here. Uh, you get 30000 a year. <laughs> going into 1990. Oh, hell, 3000 a year if that. Yeah, oh, my exactly. God. <laughs> Hot dogs and t-shirts, probably, most of the time. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the Copia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-host for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. 
We review everything from the Flare Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6 all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. NWA Power Hour for November 17th, 1989. Jim Ross is host all alone this week. No Jim Cornetti just turned heel. So he'll be off the TV for a week or two here. Buzz Sawyer out to the ring, accompanied by Mr. J and Gary Hart, taking on Luis Estilla. This is Buzz Sawyer's return to the NWA overall. It's the first time we're seeing Buzz Sawyer here in this Turner brand. Well, we haven't seen Buzz Sawyer anywhere in quite a while. So the Mad Dog has arrived. And of course, Buzz Sawyer is basically replacing, would you say he's replacing Terry Funk? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, who else is he replacing? Well, Dick Slater's gone too. So, I mean, it, yeah, I guess like Mr. J's kind of like in replace, <laughs> Kendo Nagasaki replaces Dick Slater. Now, Buzz Sawyer is taking that spot for, for Terry Funk here. Buzz Sawyer with a nice looking kick out suplex, really nice spot there. He pulls the jobber up on two. He's not done yet. Gary Hart tells him the world is watching. That's a shot at the WWF, I'd imagine. Flying forearm smashed by Buzz Sawyer. The nasty power slam. And, of course, Buzz goes flying. The Mad Dog flies with a diving splash. Buzz Sawyer's in the NWA. Picks up the win in three minutes. What do you think of Buzz Sawyer coming didn't... to the NWA here? He looked pretty cool. I love the haircut. The screeching yells are awesome. I mean, he's crazy. If you haven't seen him or don't know him, I think it's not this show but there's one show where like he's on there and then kevin sullivan's right out there that that was kind of a bad idea so we'll talk about that later but um he looked pretty cool i i, I was always excited to watch buzz sawyer um he's nuts and you just don't know what you're going to get so uh very entertaining yeah brian pillman over on the monday warfare show he's something else but buzz sawyer is another level of, of coked out for sure oh, oh gee Brian Pillman knows what he's doing. I don't think <laughs> Buzz has any clue what the hell's going on with reality. Yeah, I think Brian Pillman tra- plays a tremendous movie crazy guy. Like, you know, his facials yeah. and his mannerisms. Buzz Sawyer's just a fucking nut job. Completely, completely different world. <laughs> Brian Pillman reminds me of like Heath Ledger playing the Joker. Sure. It's just an, a very, very good acting job. Whereas right. Buzz, drugs are a hell of a thing, I guess. <laughs> Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> And it's time exactly. for ah, ah, and the WNN and Gordon Soli. Gordon is pleased to be wrong that Funk would win at the Clash because Ric Flair got the win. Gordon is wrong, and he's delighted. We end up with a post-match brawl between J- what was left of JTEX. Terry Funk had kind of de facto turned face there on Gary Hart, uh, leading to Sting, saving Ric Flair. And then Lex Luger comes out and attacks both Flair and Sting and destroys their trophies as well. So... Lex Luger getting into that mix with Sting and Flair at this point. We also discuss Jim Cornette. Gordon Sully calls him a deceitful man, the most deceitful man that Gordon has ever seen. Gordon calls what Cornette did to the dynamic dudes an elaborate trap. But Sully thinks the dudes aren't done yet. God, I wish they were done. (laughs) Well, more to say about that next episode of The Grenade. Freebird time, taking on Brian Pillman and Tom Zink. This actually airs on Worldwide, but we'll talk about it here. 
The birds wind up getting heat on Tom Zink in and out of the ring. The Z-Man comes back with an atomic drop on Hayes and a hot tag to Pillman. We wind up with a four-way melee as Pillman gets tossed and the birds do a two-on-one on Zink. And the illegal Z-Man places a sleeper on Jimmy Garvin. Remember Z-Man made the hot tag to Pillman? Somehow he's legal again. Michael Hayes tries a DDT on Zink, but he gets backdropped out of it. The birds then double the team Zink in a tag team match and yet somehow get disqualified. Seven minutes and three seconds. Zink and Pillman pick up the win because the birds double team the Z-Man. And in some worlds, people are arguing, well, you get a five count and then it's a disqualification. Well, that's fine. But they haven't been calling for disqualifications for a lot more than this. So I thought this was a really oh, shit finish. Uh, this was terrible. I, I really had no idea what the hell was going on. Like, if, you, if you're not paying attention and you miss those hot tags, you don't really know who's legal mm-hmm. and not legal. But I did pick up on, like, Z-Man wasn't even the legal guy and he gets him in the sleeper. So the birds are coming in and making up for the fact that Z-Man shouldn't even be in the ring. Yet they're the ones who get disqualified. It makes absolutely no sense. It, it's just so lazy and shitty in a microcosm of like the issues that the NWA had. I mean, they have good TV going. The stories are great. The, the athletes are here. The wrestlers, the, the, the stars are here. Really? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to like, but the yep. officiating has been the, w- one of the worst things that and production. Okay. It's just shit. I got it. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> that's excellent. Excellent break breakdown of the entire, everything that's going on right now in the NWA. Perfect. Perfectly said. It couldn't really, couldn't really break it down any better than that. And it's time for Funk's grill, but there's no Terry Funk. We're coming out of the clash. So he's selling that he's not here this week. Replacing Terry Funk on Funk's grill is Jim Cornette hosting. Of course, Cornette now a heel as he does a guest host impersonation. Terry Funk. I thought he did a good job there for a little bit when he was talking like Terry. Uh, Cornette calls what he did to the dudes the greatest con, the greatest scam in wrestling history as he allows the Midnight Express to join him here on Funk's Grill. He tells Stan Lane he played his part well. The smartest team. But why? Why did they do this, Steve? When they were off earlier in the year, they knew being good guys wasn't working. They let the Freebirds lay for a while as tag team champions because they knew they could beat the Birds anytime they wanted. Meanwhile, the Midnights, they can out-wrestle all the big guy teams, outsmart teams like the Steiners, but the dudes posed a problem. They're young, they're quick, and they do a lot of tag team work like the Midnights. I wouldn't go that far. That always seems to give the Midnights the trouble, referencing the Fantastics and the Rock and Rolls. Cornette says, it took a long time to get rid of the Fantastics and four years to get rid of the rock and rolls. The dudes gave Corny the answer of how to get rid of them quickly. They asked for help. Corny helped them, all right, right into hospital beds. The Midnight Express are taking back the greatest team in wrestling moniker. The dudes are welcome to step in the ring. The only thing the Midnights are sorry about is that they didn't do this sooner. I loved it. Yeah, this was excellent. He, did, he does a great job of, he's not like, trashing the dudes at all he's putting them over yeah because he knows they they're in a feud with against the midnight so why would you go out there and just bag them and say they're terrible and things like that like no these guys posed a problem we're trying to get get rid of it before they even get to that point to where they're as good as the rock and rolls or as good as the fantastics those teams that give them problems they didn't do that before so they're okay they've learned their lessons from those two teams they're applying it to the dynamic dudes and they're trying to get rid of them before they get good, uh, become that well-oiled machine. So um, 
I know it's the dynamic dudes. They suck. We know that. But the feud in this story that they're telling, basically Jim Cornette doing what Jim Cornette does, is so good. It's just uh, unfortunate that it's the dynamic dudes on the other side of the coin. Um, yeah, it's it sucks that Ric Flair and Cornette have ha- such hostile situ- uh, situations with Jim Hurd. As everyone knows, I mean, Cornette's gone by the fall of 90 and Flair's gone by the summer of 91, all because of Jim Hurd, mind you. And this is like the perfect booking team. And I know Flair takes himself out of that in February, but I would have absolutely kept Corny and Sullivan in those spots because they really tie a bow to everything. Every time you have that little question, every time you're like, yeah, but this one part doesn't make sense. They fill it in. Even if it's not the best answer, they still fill it in. There's no questions left. Sullivan closed out why he joined Doom, why he's no longer with Doom. These were questions I had. Cornette tells why. (laughs) Yeah, that threw me off as well. Cornette tells you why he did that because that was my next question. Why? Why did you start? Why did you do this to begin with? And he explains it. Why'd you even mess with the dudes? Yeah, Yeah, he explains it away. I thought it was tremendous because if this was pre-Flair, the back when George Scott was booking her. Well, this is too elaborate for George Scott, but. When any of the other booking was going on, we would have never have gotten these answers. It would have just been like, fuck that. We're going to move on. Yeah. And what, what kills me is like, what, what the hell happened to Kevin Sullivan <laughs> by 1995? Yeah. <laughs> That's no the kidding. Real question. Like, he had, like, I don't know what he has a hand in in this at all. Like, I'm sure he probably has a, I don't well, know. He's what probably he's got a hand in, in woman's crotch. I'm sure he's got a hand in that. Well, absolutely. He's married to it. So, sure. Uh, I I don't know what what he has his handprints on like story wise and things yeah. like that. I'm sure he did the Doom angle with the Steiners. Right. I'm sure that's him he, uh, with yeah. Jim Ross and some of those other guys. But like you said, I don't know if it's just because it's a committee and they're all working together. And you know, if one of them forgets something, the other one's like, "Hey, you remember this? Why haven't we touched on this? Why haven't we closed this up?" Uh, something like that. Maybe they work together in that aspect to where they're filling in the gaps where he doesn't necessarily have that in '95. Maybe it's just him and. Hogan changing everything can really affect everything, but man, it's night and day difference from 89 to 95. Yeah. And you wonder why in Uh, January and in February, the ratings peak, they hit all time highs like forever. And then, and then like uh, two weeks later, Flair resigns as Booker. Unfortunately, it's, uh, it's, it's sad. It's like F you George, uh, Jim heard. I made it where I said I was going to make it. You can kiss my ass. Yeah. I'm done. Now this, you do uh, it. Now you do it. Yeah, this Clash Nine, I think it was second all time. So we go from like some of the worst clashes of all time, uh, ratings wise, to the second best of all time. Only to, only to Sting and Flair the the beginning, the first one, uh, which went up against WrestleMania, and then by January or February, whatever it is, the ratings are peaking four point s four point threes on the TV on the weekend, and then Flair's like, "Yeah, I'm good." And that's perfect. I love it. I love it. F you, Jim Hurd. That's what he's saying. Classic. So we saw Lex Luger take on Dick Murdoch last week. And this episode, I forgot to mention at the beginning of this power hour, it was missing. Nobody had it. We couldn't find it. Guess what? Well, we found it because we've been covering it here. And we get the rematch. U.S. champion Lex Luger and the rematch against Dick Murdoch, of course, last week. And then, whoops, that a double DQ or double count? I can't remember. I think it was double DQ. I don't remember now. But anyways, it was a, to quote Bret Hart, it was a schmoz. So we get the rematch here. And Lex Luger immediately pissed off at the fans. They're rallying for Dick Murdoch. Dick Murdoch almost immediately defeats Lex Luger, wins the U.S. title with an inside cradle. And that pisses the total package off. He begins 
doing a little more stalling, lots of stalling, in fact, but some spots in between, just enough action to continue to make this match like last week. Very entertaining, I thought. Murdoch works a leg lock on Luger. Murdoch drops an elbow over the apron. A very hot crowd. This crowd made this match again. They really were into this. Lex Luger works an arm bar, grabs the ropes for leverage. Dick Murdoch comes back with a figure four. Luger almost finds himself pinned three times in the figure four leg lock. And finally he escapes. He begs off. But Murdoch lands some dusty elbow with Baby and Lex moves from one of the elbows. I don't think he was supposed to because Murdoch hits it the second time. He must have said, hey, stop rolling around, bitch. And he connects with a big dusty elbow drop. And uh, Luger finally has to take that move. Lex does get to the floor, though, avoids being pinned. Murdoch then shoves Tommy Young out of the way, which allows Luger to grab the U.S. title belt and nail Dick Murdoch right in the head. And then Luger hits his own Duffy elbow drop, if you will, baby. And Luger picks up the win in 15 minutes, 26 seconds. This wasn't clean, but a definitive win for total package Lex Luger. I was happy we got a pinfall here. Yeah, me too. It, it was. I don't think it was as good as the first one. No, um, I agree. But the we, finish was here. You know, you, you, yeah, we got the finish here, but it, it was like a thirty-minute match broken into two weeks. Yeah, that's kind of how it felt. Um, but when you see it the first time and it, everything works, second time you try to do it again for another fifteen minutes and kind of falls apart a little bit. I will say, Lex Luger did an excellent job of like selling his leg. Uh, there's a couple times he got whipped into the ropes and he wasn't really running full speed to sell the leg. Um, just doing an excellent job of selling that out. And uh, it was just your basic match. Lots of stalling, lots of close near falls. Luger didn't, never really got control on Murdoch. Murdoch, every time he felt like Luger was going to get the momentum and carry part of the match, Murdoch would hit an elbow or he would come up with something new to get him and catch him off guard and Luger would get flustered. So it was, it was a lot of back and forth stalling and rest holds for 15 minutes, but I'm glad we got the finish this time. Really nice, easy way to book a TV, you know, a little small TV feud uh, between the two and right. um, get Luger over at the end. Yeah, I thought, I mean, if anybody knows how to work a match like this and do as little as possible and still get over it, Stick Murdoch. And I don't think Lex Luger has any problem with doing as little as possible and still being over. No, definitely not. <laughs> so. You know Murdoch was carrying because Luger has made it clear he doesn't carry matches. He never liked doing it. He, that's why he says the Mania match at nine sucks so bad is because Perfect forgot the match. Forgot everything. Yeah, made... he got in the ring and he went blank. And he told Lex, oh, and shit, then... I had forgot everything. Now, now Lex has to carry it. He's never done it before, and he hates doing it. So we get a terrible match, which sucks. They could have a pretty out. good match, I thought. Yeah, I, I, like you said, I thought the first one was better. Uh, no doubt about it. But yeah, I was just... happy that we got that conclusion, that we got to see this match. We got to see the finish. I like the finish, too. It's yeah, that, that finish wasn't overdone, so I, I like it. Not yet. This week's Power Minute, it's yet again these skyscrapers and Road Warrior videos. They love playing the shit out of those videos as they announce the rules of Starcade on a scroller across the screen. Of course, it's two round robin tournaments. We'll talk more about that leading into Starcade. And the wrestler of the week, none other than the world champion, Ric Flair. Makes sense. He just beat Terry Funk in that epic I quit match. So good call here this week on the Power Hour. I think so, too. And we'll move on to quick results for NWA Pro for November 18th. Now, we don't have this show. I think, I think, uh, sad to say, last week's Pro is the last Pro that's out there in circulation, to the best of my knowledge. So we may not have any more Pros moving forward, but we do have results for this particular Pro. 
And uh, if anybody has any of these NW Pros moving forward, November or December of 1989, please let us know. Drop us a DM at Wrestling Grenade on Twitter. Email us, WrestleCopia at gmail.com. Let us know. We'd love to try to get this footage and stick it in the archives with everything else we have. But here we go. NWA Pro for November 18th. We kick things off with a Gary Hart promo. He's talking the match later on tonight. It's TV champion Muda defending against Ranger Ross. Then on the card, Sid Vicious defeats Tim Hughes. Buzz Sawyer over Rock Hard Rick. We get promos from Gary Hart vowing revenge on Ric Flair and a rebuttal from the Nature Boy, a promo of his own, talking about getting in the ring with Muda at Starcade. The Steiner Brothers win a tag team squash, I should say tag team champion. Steiner Brothers win a tag team squash match. Kevin Sullivan in the ring, no longer with Doom. Gets the win over Rick Ryder. From there, it's TV champion, the great Muda, taking on Ranger Ross. Ross in yet another dream match. That's three dream matches here in November for Ranger Ross. Tremendous. And we close off the show from what I'm told was a solid match. I believe it. We just saw Italian Stallion have a pretty good match with Muda on the last episode of The Grenade. Here, it's flying Brian Pillman with a win over the Italian Stallion to close out this week's episode of Pro. And we'll move on to NWA Worldwide for November 18th. This was taped back on November 6th. So this is actually pre-Clash in Savannah, Georgia at the Civic Center. It's Chris Cruz hosting with JR on commentary with him. Promo kicks things off by NWA Tag Team Champions, the Freebirds, at least for now. And that's Tom Zink and Brian Pillman, by the way, that the Freebirds will be facing. We already saw this match on Power Hour, so don't expect too much here by way of... uh, explanation of what happens. We've already discussed this match. Road Warriors, though, to the ring, taking on Ralph Hodges and Glenn Morgan. We get an insert promo from Teddy Long. The roadies are having a hard time beating the skyscrapers. Teddy says that's because it's impossible to beat these skyscrapers. And at Starcade, the scrapers will eliminate every team in one night. Somehow I don't think that's going to happen, Teddy. The Road Warriors do attack Hodges and Glenn Morgan to kick the match off. And a doomsday device later on Hodges, the roadies pick up the win in 1 minute and 28 seconds. It's on to a pre-tape promo from Flying Brian Pillman. He asks Luger for a title shot here on Worldwide. So Pillman looking for a third match now with a total package. Back to the ring, it's Doom, yet another team that'll be part of Starcade, taking on Mike Thor and Rock Hard Rick. Insert promo this time from the Steiners, who are also in the Starcade match. They talk Doom. And their attack during the Steiners and Skyscrapers cl- match at the Clash of the Champions. The Steiners vow it is not over by a long shot. Not until the Steiners say so, Doom. And last episode, we saw the D- uh, Doom try the catapult into the flying shoulder tackle spot. It didn't work out too well last time we saw him try it. I can't believe they tried it again, but it's actually fairly successful here. A lot better than it was the first time around anyway. That's what Doom uses here to pick up the win in only 1 minute and 30 seconds as they have woman by their side. And it's time for Pettisino Nose, as he talks Starcades matches. In fact, the singles matches, I should point out. It's Ric Flair, Sting, Lex Luger, and the Great Muda. All four men will compete in a round-robin-style tournament as part of Starcade and the Iron Man tournament, if you will. Whoever has the most points at the end of the night will be declared the winner. And apparently titles are of no importance, according to the promo which is just mind-boggling that they would say something like that. We continue on with a Gary Hart and Mr. J promo. Gary Hart says the Japanese were unlike the quitters 
that the NWA World Champion Ric Flair had been facing, referencing Terry Funk, and that Flair's title reign would soon end. Because left in JTEX right now, of course, are Mr. J, soon to be renamed the Dragon Master here by next week, and the Great Muda. So the Muda, or excuse me, the Great Muda is coming for Flair's title, but titles aren't on the line. It's Starcade. He'll have to take it another time. Ric Flair responds. He says he and Sting would take on any combination of the Great Muda, the Dragon Master, and the total package Lex Luger. That could be interesting. Muda and Luger as a team? I'd like to see that. Show continues on. It's Buzz Sawyer with Gary Hart and Mr. J in his corner taking on Lee Scott. Poor Lee Scott. Sawyer presses Lee into the air and onto the top turnbuckle and then nails him with a nasty-looking power slam off the top rope. Buzz picks up the win here in a minute and 26 seconds. Some quick squash matches and uh, very enjoyable watching Lee Scott take a power slam from the top rope by Buzz Sawyer. Oh, yeah, that was ridiculous. Buzz had some tremendous strength that you didn't... I mean, he looks big, but like he's kind of tossing dudes around like he's Rick Steiner out there. So he, he's very impressive early on. And they make sure to get him on every damn TV show that they have. Because yeah, if you, if you didn't know Buzz Sawyer was here uh, before the clash, you know he's here now. He's on everything this week. Oh, oh my God. It's fine with me. I don't care. But No, man, I'm not complaining. Like every, card, yeah. <laughs> every card he's there. And I'm like, okay, cool. Buzz Sawyer, he's he's here. We got Buzz Sawyer time, so I'm here for it. Lose Sid and we gain Buzz. Jim Cornette and Midnight Express on another promo. The fans got his team nowhere, and the dudes were fools for trusting him. Basic and simple promo there. The dudes respond. They claim they could have won matches without Jim Cornette advising them. Well, then why the fuck did you ask him to advise you in the first place, dudes? Come on. Back to the ring. It's Sting taking on Al Navarro, old WWF jobber there, Navarro. It's kind of funny to see him here in the NWA. Navarro wants to do a pose down with Sting. Navarro has a decent job guy body, but he's no Stinger. And Sting a little more aggressive here post-clash as he drops Al across the railing on the outside. Even tries to use a steel chair. But back in the ring, it's the Stinger splash and the Scorpion Deathlock that ends it. Two minutes and four seconds. Back to Pettacino knows earlier on the show, he talked the four-man Iron Man match. Now he talks the four-team Iron Team match involving the Steiners, the Roadies, Doom, and supposedly the Skyscrapers. So now we know the teams involved in the other half of the Starcade matches. As the show continues, in fact, yeah, it's the Freebirds and Brian Pillman Z-Man match that we saw on the Power Hour where the, the birds get disqualified for double-teaming the illegal Tom Zink. So we'll move on as we get a woman in Doom promo. Nothing wrong with a woman promo as she trash talks the Steiners and insults Rick Steiner's breath. Nothing happening here. She's falling apart a little bit. Uh, she really has nothing to say. Anymore. Well, she's reached That's that peak. Decent. Yeah, there's nothing to say yeah. at this point. You're kind of in, in the feud now. So, yeah, it's, uh, we've seen yeah. other guys struggle. We've seen Terry Funk, Teddy Long, Paul E. even struggle. Everybody. once. <laughs> yeah, once Cornette and Paul E. were struggling against each other. And they never struggle. It's just, what can you say after you've done said everything up to a certain point? Yeah. And with woman not being a good promo to begin with, it's, it can be scary here if you let her talk too much. And we'll close, oh, yeah. out, we'll close out worldwide, not with the SST, but with the Wild Samoans. You heard me right. It's Fatu and the Samoan Savage, accompanied by Oliver Humperdinck, over the Italian Stallion and Rick Ryder. Fatu with the top rope splash on Ryder. The Samoans pick up the win in three minutes and 43 seconds. And that'll take us into NWA World Championship Wrestling, 
Special 90-minute edition starts at 6 o'clock because of a Hawks-Warriors game here for November 18th. This was taped back all the way on November 1st at center stage. Man, 17 days old. <laughs> yeah, that's... It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. That's uh, one of the bigger gaps for a World Championship Wrestling show. They've come a long way since back in the day when they filmed them Saturday mornings and <laughs> aired them on Saturday nights. Oh, yeah. Those days are done. <laughs> I, I, it's been a minute since we've seen it that far apart. Usually it's like three or four days or something like that. Uh, that's what, it's what it seems to be anyway. It but, seems like um, sometimes they even tape two at a time, and it'll be the Wednesday before the Saturday and then maybe the next week. So like 10 days is the, the big gap, but here we're 17 days apart, which is kind of crazy. Was it because of the clash? Was it the clash that caused that, do you think? I don't. I have no idea what the deal is here. Um but that you know. clash would normally be like a recording day, but they had the live, so they had to do an extra day of t- a taping or something. That could be. I don't it. know. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. Is a Jr. goes solo here because they know Jim Cornette has turned heel, so he's no longer going to be host here with Jim Ross. So he only did it for a few weeks. They turn him heel, and they don't want him to do it anymore because they're afraid Cornette will keep himself over as a babyface. Not because he's trying to get over as a babyface, just because of he's Cornette. And the things he says, you know, people people enjoy hearing it. So they no longer yeah. want him. Jim Hurd no longer wants him here as color commentator. As the show kicks off, promo by the Steiner brothers. They say lightning won't strike twice. There's no Robin Green ringside this time either. When the Steiners challenge the Freebirds for the World Tag Team titles tonight. Now, I already gave it away on the last episode of The Grenade. The titles change hands here tonight. We already know that. We'll get to that later in the show, though. This time, it's six-man tag team action. This was taped a while ago, so Sam Moose still here. SST and the Samoan Savage with the Big Kahuna taking on Lee Scott, Bob Emery, Mike Justice, six-man tag team action. The Samoans attack and dump Emery and Justice, and you know what that means. <laughs> that leaves Lee Scott in the ring all by himself for another big backdrop, but the timing's off, and it winds up just being a an AEW explosion is the best way I can describe the backdrop here. Just a big disappointment. A dud. It's a sparkler. (laughs) Oh, man. The Samoans hit their version of the demolition decapitation from the top rope on Scott and toss him into his corner. Samu nails a Samoan drop and fought two with a splash on Lee. Gets the win in two and a half minutes. Poor Lee Scott did all the work here for the job, guys. No shock. They know what's up. We go back to a clip from Clash of the Champions where Doom attacks the Steiners during the Steiners and Skyscrapers match. We get a pre-tape promo. Two Steiner Brothers promos. Who thought this was a good idea? On the same show, I wrote another one. Yikes. Their goal in high school and college were to become world or professional wrestlers and win the tag team titles. And they're not done with Doom by a long shot. So first it's the birds, then it's back to Doom is their plan. Is the promo by Doom and Woman as they respond. Woman says she pays Doom well, and they will continue to do what she tells them to do. She doesn't know what she was thinking being with Rick Steiner, but she accomplished her goals. She took Rick's heart, and next is his soul. (laughs) She didn't really do that, but just sounded like it fit there. Much more deliberate promo here from Woman, though. Yeah, this one was pretty good. It it sounded a lot like Kevin Sullivan, but uh, she delivered it pretty well. She did a good job getting this match, getting this feud continued. It was way better than what she had on Worldwide. Definitely yeah. a step up. Whenever you hear somebody talking about taking somebody's soul, you can fucking rest assured here in 1989 that Kevin Sullivan wrote that for her. 
<laughs> yeah, and this is where she started. Is this where she started? The only good girls are made of sugar and spice. Or this something might like have been. I didn't write it down because I thought it was so fucking hokey and corny and shitty that I, I, I didn't write it down. Uh, I know she, she says it a few times. She so, does say um, it a few times. You're right. And I wrote it down zero I didn't know times. If that was gonna be her. <laughs> I didn't know if that was gonna be her catchphrase going forward, or what? Like putting her own spin on it. Maybe she got tired of reading Kevin Sullivan lines, so she wanted <laughs> to throw her own thing in there. And big um, mistake. <laughs> Oh man, but I think she only does it this week and next week. But I don't. But I don't really remember. Yeah, I know she says it two that. or three times. Yeah, I know she says it two yeah. or three times. Yeah. Kevin um, Sullivan probably like shut the hell up with that. Stop saying these dumb shits. Just read what's on the paper. <laughs> read what's on the paper. Damn it. <laughs> trying to watch Boston over here. <laughs> Is this the Hawks Celtics yeah, game? Might have been. Uh, that was the Warriors. Oh, it was it's the Warriors the this week. Warriors. That's right. All right. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, back to the <laughs> ring for flying Brian Pillman taking on Lou Taffaloni, who's actually Louis Spicoli. Middle row bulldog. But the timing was off here as Brian Pillman does come back with Air Pillman to pick up the win. Six minutes and six seconds. Uh, Cornette says, admits he's the one that put Spicoli here on these uh, couple of TV tapings. We've seen him recently because he thought Spicoli looked like a long lost brother of Bobby Eaton. So that was Cornette's reasoning. <laughs> so That's great. Is that his real last name? Or no, it's uh, Mucciolo, I believe, was his uh, real last name. It looks name. really close. Isn't that close to, like, woman's real last name or, like, maiden name? I know, like, her sister was on the dark side of the ring stuff, and yeah. I don't know if that's, like, her, her married name or if that's, like, her, her actual maiden name. I don't know, but when I saw that, for some reason, I went to woman. I thought a woman with that last name because it looked similar. I could be way off. I don't know. I don't really dabble into that stuff. You're right. Really I just looked it up. That is that was her last name. That's where this came from. Good call. Oh wow! Never knew that. <laughs> I just, uh, that's what I thought. Like I, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know how I remember. I know Meltzer reached out, re- talks to her. Yeah, uh, I heard Twitter an interview he did with so her and Jericho. That. I heard him yeah. talk to her too. That's what we had Jericho too. So I know it was all when the dark side of the ring stuff came out, and I, yeah. that name looked familiar. But I don't, I don't watch that stuff, so. Weird, I remembered that, but cool. Yeah, I would, now I we know. know. I, I, I think I said in Last Grenade, where the hell did they come up with this name? And that's clearly where they came up with it. They didn't want him to be Spicoli because he stole that from the movies. And I guess they didn't like Mucciolo, so <laughs> they went with Taffaloni. So there you go. It works. Learn something new. We go back to a clip from last <laughs> week when these skyscrapers laid out Dr. Death Steve Williams. And now we go to the ring skyscrapers with Teddy Long taking on Scrap Iron Bill Ford and Pat Rose. Insert promo. From Teddy Long says, Dr. Death, don't look like a four-time All-American no more. The roadies, the Steiners, everybody's going down at Starcade, And Ford and Rose go down here. Spike powerbomb on Ford. Skyscrapers pick up the win in a minute 43. Jim Ross then thinks Tim Willett. Remember him? That was the guy that yeah. went down to Mexico <laughs> a, few, a few weeks back uh, and talked to the original Nacho Libre, if you will. Uh, he, pr- he thinks of her for promoting the recent NWA shows and Oklahoma City, Amarillo, and other cities in Texas. I just thought that was interesting because we also saw him sitting ringside. I don't remember if it was Clash or one of the recent pay-per-views, but he's been around, so he's definitely promoting certain cities for the company. Not a bad call. All the help you can get. We get clips here of Jim Cornette turning on the dudes from Clash 9. I can't get enough of this. Another promo (laughs) with Cornette and the Midnights. More of the same and more of the same from the dynamic dudes. They said they thought Jim Cornette was their friend, but he stabbed them in their back. One thing Corny did teach them, they can they can win on their own. 
The Midnights have a war on their hands. I wrote, yuck. I, I can't take <laughs> anything to say seriously. It's like a jobber kind of promo on Hulk Hogan. I, I, I think oh, that's uh, a great analogy. There. That's yeah, a great analogy there. It's what um, it feels like. It really is. I, I take, I, I can believe Shane Douglas and you, I guess you can say that's cause I'm a fan, but I, the issue with me with the dynamic dudes is always been, is Johnny Ace. I don't, Shane gets in the ring. He's on time. He's crisp and, you know, he's doing, but what he's, he's in this team doing. at the end of the day. He's, he's in, in the team. Yeah, he is in the team. That's, that's his really his that's downfall. Not, that is his in downfall. Team, it, when he's saying things, I can believe it. When Johnny Ace is saying it, I just don't, I, I don't take anything that dude says at all. Like no, ever, I agree I've ever, I've never taken him serious. If it was anyone else besides Johnny Ace, I think the dudes would have probably had a little bit better standing with the crowd. It's just when you look so off and it's him that looks off every single time. No, if Shane no had a had a reliable guy like a, a Marty Jannetty as a partner, they could have went, you know, they could have done something. But which is kind of funny because Shane did fill in for Shawn Michaels during the uh, the knee injury in the summer of 1990 after they had Power and Glory take him out. I never saw those matches on the house shows, but I guarantee you Shane Douglas is probably thinking, man, where the hell was this guy a year ago? <laughs> or, you know, whatever it was, because <laughs> right. sure. this is what it's like to have a partner who's on time and knows how to do moves together and not look like a complete jackass. Yeah. This is what it's like. So, uh, unfortunate for Shane. We go back to the ring. Singles competition is Doom Number 1, a.k.a. Ron Simmons here, accompanied the ring by Woman, taking on Jerry Price. Match starts off with a handshake as Ron jerks Price right into a nasty clothesline and just mauls poor Price around the ring before nailing what I call that choke slam driver is the best description I can call it because he doesn't really pick the guy up in the air. He just grabs him by the throat and just drives him into the mat. As Ron Simmons picks up the win here in two minutes and 55 seconds, pre-tape promo time by the, for the now, for now anyway, the World Tag Team Champion Freebirds. I wrote, what the fuck are they doing? Hugging? It looks like they're almost trying to have sex. And they say, try and try again, Steiners. You will fail. Of course, the Birds, with the help of woman, defeated the Steiners at Clash 8. But this is the rematch, and things are going to be a little different here in a few minutes. Back to the ring. He's on every show, like you said. Buzz Sawyer back out again with Gary Hart and Mr. J, taking on Trent Knight here. So this was the surprise that they were alluding to last week when I, when I was thinking they were referring to Arn Anderson, and I said, I don't think they have a surprise next week. Well, this was their surprise. It's too bad it was spoiled on the Power Hour and on Pro and on Worldwide, and now here he is again for the fourth time this week. The mad dog in the ring is Buzz calls out Sting. He calls out Flair, calls out Ole Anderson. Jim Ross says he's refer referencing Ole anyway. He calls out Anderson. I felt like he was talking to Arn. Maybe Buzz knew something we didn't know at this point. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. It almost felt like he was about to drop Tully, too. Like yeah. Like he drop Tully Anderson or Tully Blanchard. Yeah. Um, but he looks like he caught himself. And I think JR does an excellent job on commentary. He's talking about Ole. He, he makes sure he references Ole. It'd be weird that Buzz would be doing this if this was filmed back on the 1st. Did they know Arn was coming back that soon? Like that early on in the month? Or? Yeah. He, well, yeah, because he gave his notice and they had already kind of worked out a deal. So, yeah. Did he give his, how, long, how long ahead of time did he give his notice? 30 uh, days? I think, it was re 30? I think it was reported in October at some point because they had to drop the belts oh, okay. at the uh, Saturday Night's Main Event taping. Or no, at the TV taping, they dropped the belts because Saturday Night's Main Event, they lose to the Rockers. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 
as as the match gets going with Trent Knight, Buzz Mall's poor night here. Power slams and suplexes. They trade some nasty loud shots of our chops. The, the the sounds were awful. Poor Trent Knight. Buzz Sawyer nails a belly to belly suplex, but he keeps pulling Trent up from the count, and they go to the floor as Buzz lands a hot shot on the guardrail. Then a flying spear. I wrote, "Holy fuck!" Through the ropes, he destroyed Knight to the floor. And then Buzz again with another power slam out of the leapfrog, the old Buzz Sawyer power slam. And does that mean Rick Steiner has to stop doing it? Because Rick does it so pretty as well, but he did take it from Buzz. And it's the diving splash and a fast count by Tommy Young, who probably wanted to put Knight out of his misery at this point. I thought it was a nice touch. Buzz Sawyer picks up the win. Seven minutes, ten seconds. That's a seven-minute squash. That was a fun seven-minute squash. Yeah, Buzz is destroying people. Um, I think the one thing that really bugs me, though, is some of these, when they bring in new people, it, it seems like they run this gimmick to where they just brutalize guys and then the refs just forced to stop it. I mean, we've seen it with the skyscrapers. Uh, we see it a little bit with Doom. Uh, I think they were kind of going this way with Buzz a little bit um, until Young kind of just fast, um, like fast counted uh, because they're getting pissed off. Like he keeps on pulling up. So they're like getting close to getting DQ'd for not trying to win a match that sort of deal so it seems like every time they bring in somebody new that's a heel they want to get him over as like this monster that's just killing people Uh, it's been very repetitive at least in 1989 so you come up with something new i won't i won't argue that somebody likes the whole uh build a monster routine here kevin sullivan yeah that would have been my guess too that would have been that would have been my guess too He's like living vicariously through all these guys. He is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like that's, it's he can't like really that's push himself. Wants. So <laughs> he tried to put himself in doom and that didn't work out. So he's kind of like back to the drawing board. I'm Buzz Sawyer now. So yeah, <laughs> here we go. We're about to find out. This is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, before we get there, uh, let's talk uh, real quick. They show, they go back in time to clash nine. We see the awards assembly as Ric Flair receives wrestler of the decade and sting most popular wrestler of 1989 by Bill Apter and the old Apter mags. But then we go to the end of the clash and the attack. Luger destroying both Flair and Sting's trophy. What a heel. And now we will go. Uh, this is it. You know, this is what I referenced. And this is what I had been wondering myself way back when we first learned Kevin Soul was even in Doom. How the hell does he get out of Doom? And do they explain it? Well, Kevin has an answer. A lot of people come to me and ask me about the woman, the Doom, and the Steiner situation. I'm going to make it real clear. I'm supposed to be the most devious man in professional wrestling. So that means I'm very, very clever. I know one thing, that doom means destruction. And I also know that the Steiner brothers, they don't have a brain in their body. That's why you can beat on them all night and they come back. Well, doom, Steiners, I don't know who is going to get hurt. But woman is the most deceivious person i've ever met in my life and it may be the steiners out of professional wrestling or it may be doom themselves but i know one thing kevin sullivan's much too clever to get caught in any kind of crossfire caused by a woman steiners doom i don't know who's gonna make it but i certainly am so probably not the best (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> excuse for why he dipped out because he kind of knew this going in. He, 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 in fact, was happy that delighted that he could uh, take some more jabs at the Steiners, but this is his excuse. 
Um, at least they gave us something here in the middle of nowhere. Cause Solomon has nothing else going on. So they really didn't even need to give us this promo. So at least they did that much. I, so I learned that. And I also learned that deceivious is apparently a word, at least in Kevin Sullivan's vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't bad. I don't mind the excuse. It's like, okay, like doom's bad. They, they could beat this shit out of people. The Steiners have no brains. So they're just going to let people beat the hell out of them and just keep on coming back. Cause they're having fun. He's like, yeah, I may be devious, but I'm good. No, he's uh, deceivious. <laughs> no, wait, woman's deceivious. Well, he said, I apologize. Yeah, woman's deceivious. He's My bad. devious. Okay. Um, so he's smart <laughs> enough to get the hell out of Dodge and let woman fight her own battles, and I'm not getting caught up in this mess. So uh, it makes sense. I mean, it, it kind of takes away from the It makes no sense to me because he knew this going in, though. Like, this wasn't something he just learned. Well, well, he, he's been feuding with fucking yeah, Rick Steiner for yeah, over I mean, a year now. Well, yeah, but obviously you got to come up with something when Jim Hurd probably. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm happy that they gave us something. No, I'm happy they gave us something. Else you can, I don't even know what else you could say. Like, I don't yeah. know what's going to make any sense here, especially since you've been feuding with him for a year. You you know Rick Steiner through and through. He's been a part of the varsity club with you for how long? And then you feuded against him for how long? Right. So it's like nothing's going to sound good based off of that. But at least they gave us something. I, my note here was like, I'm shocked they did this. And actually addressed him leaving the Doom camp. Uh, usually they just let that stuff go and you forget about it. They actually addressed it like weeks later, which was very, very rare to say the least. Um, no, I'm happy. I'm happy that they, they do things like this. Cornette and Sullivan. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm thankful. Absolutely. You know, it's like I'm, I'm not questioning. Like my mind's not. It, everything makes sense. And I love it. I'm glad we're yeah. in a world where everything, everything makes sense. Tying those bows like you mentioned earlier. We go to the ring with Kevin Sullivan taking on Tommy Angel. Angel actually gets to reverse a post shot. Sullivan takes a post shot from Tommy Angel. Angel even lands the 10 punch in the corner, but winds up running into a Sullivan boot. And Kevin mauls him from there with, uh, <laughs> hits him with the steps, uh, stretches the poor guy, ties him in the tree of woe, nails the running knee in the corner, double stomp, finally ends it. Another seven minute, three second squash. Kevin Sullivan this time picks up the win. So he lives vicariously through Buzz Sawyer. And then he goes out there and does the same exact thing. Yeah. That's, I, I didn't put a note down, but I remember this because it's like you had Buzz and then you went straight into Kevin Sullivan and it was just mirror images of each other. They both wrestle the same. They're both wearing black trunks with the short boots. Um, I think this is when Sullivan started the little tie, like the ribbon in his hair too. I think he had it in this match that he kind of runs with a little bit. Maybe to different, set himself apart. I don't know. But it was just like watching 15 minutes of Buzz Sawyer going at it. I mean, because these guys look identical. Like It was really bad placement of the of the, of the matches. They should yeah, have separated them a little right. bit. Absolutely. Don't go back to back. Just, but then again, this is this this is the match before the, the next match. So really, you really couldn't. I mean, but because they just they didn't have enough time. I don't think with that 90 minutes, they didn't really have enough time. But <laughs> not a, not a good idea, I would say. And we move on with the NWA World Tag Team Champion Freebirds defending against the Steiner Brothers. I wrote Dream Match question mark because they didn't really announce one this week for the November to Remember Dream that, Math Month. What's that? I think they only did it for like the first two weeks, and then I don't remember hearing it again. Which is funny because it's still November. Yeah, that's the NWA for you right there. 
as the show gets going, it's a slow feeling out process. Lots of standing side headlocks. Michael Hayes looks like crap, sloppy and slow. And I'm not shocked here considering the finish, why Michael Hayes would wrestle even worse than usual. Rick Steiner misses a Steiner line and turns around and gets nailed by the left hand from Michael Hayes and the birds take over, get heat on Rick Steiner. Double team Rick on the outside. Michael Hayes with a a sleeper hold because he's buddies with the Z-Man, I guess. Rick escapes the sleeper and nails a belly-to-belly on Michael Hayes. And we get the hot tag to Scott Steiner, but woman out to ringside to run distraction as we go into a commercial break. When we come back, it's heat now from the Freebirds on Scott Steiner. Because of woman at ringside, Michael Hayes works a chin lock on Scott. So Hayes first a sleeper, now a chin lock. He's working really hard in there. Scott Steiner reverses a whip into the corner, telegraphs a backdrop, though, and Hayes with a DDT. But he can't cover because Scotty is wise enough to roll out to the floor. And by the time Scott gets back inside, Hayes can only manage a two count. Jimmy Garvin himself then telegraphs a backdrop. Scott kicks him right in the mush and a hot tag to Rick Steiner and Michael Hayes gets in the ring. Rick Steiner with the Steiner line on Hayes overhead belly to belly, but Garvin breaks up the count. We wind up with the four-way melee with Rick trips on a leapfrog over Hayes and falls into Scott. Kinda. I think he was supposed to. The, 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 the spot looked botched to me. Yeah, it was ugly. The referee winds up with Scott Steiner as Rick nails a power slam on Michael Hayes and makes the cover. But Jimmy Garvin comes off the top rope with a flying knee. But Rick moves out of the way and Garvin nails Hayes. Rick Steiner again covers and this time picks up the win. New tag team champions in 19 minutes. The Steiner brothers are your new world tag team champions. The dudes, Zink, Pillman all out to celebrate. If I were the Steiners, I'd be looking around the ring. The fuck are the Z-Man and the dynamic dudes doing out here? Fuck sakes. I wrote that I this didn't think. This the best you got. Yeah, I wrote, <laughs> I didn't think this match was anywhere near as good as the Clash match that these two had. And I really, really hated the finish. It should have been definitive. The Steiners should have worked these assholes into the ground and pinned them definitively with a finisher instead of Jimmy Garvin basically costing Michael Hayes the, the title. Yeah, with a shitty knee drop off the top, and he didn't yeah. even really connect with it. It was very ugly. You could tell the birds just didn't give a shit. They were losing the titles. They were mad, probably. They didn't like it. They were very lazy. This whole match was – it just never really took off. It was very flat. The ending was exciting just seeing the Steiners win. The crowd popped pretty loud for it. Uh, they were excited. So that it was good in that sense, but the finish sucked. The birds just completely sucking more than they normally do because they're not yeah. getting their way or they're losing their belts is – unfortunate because the Steiners deserve better than that. I mean, these guys earned it. They deserve this title win. They, they've been the best team of the, of 1989. I think once they got together, I really, it's so crazy. We had Steiner watch and it's like, <laughs> by the time the year's over, it's like this dude, he obliterated Steiner watch and, um, kept himself over through all the bullshit he was handed. So, this is like the culmination of their year, really. So, really, yeah, good I, job. I know Rick hasn't been world champion here, but it feels like he's done just about everything else you could possibly do in the matter of a year. He's, uh, it's, it's insane to he's, think he's about how much he's went through. Yeah. And, uh, God bless Thank him God here. The Steiners time, right? get their first <laughs> world tag team title run here, and they also get their third promo on the same program. Who thought that was a good idea? 
I think the beginning was like a clip of the extended promo that they got. You know how they show you something that's coming up on the show? Okay. And they cut to the WCW logo. I, I, that's what I thought. I was like, they're, we just heard this, and then they do it again. So I think mm. that's what that was. I could be off, but it's not a good idea to start. Like, if you're going to show action to get us hype, show action. Don't give us a promo, and then give us that same promo. Oh, like, don't give us a Steiner Brothers there. promo. That's for damn sure. Well, that too, but uh, – I think that initial one was just them getting you hyped for the show. I could be wrong, but okay, it's been a while cool. since I watched this show. And, yeah, I wouldn't uh, give the Steiner Brothers one promo, let alone three. Luckily, this promo is short, sweet, and to the point. They did it. And Rick Steiner says, hi, Mom. The Steiner Brothers Ross are the new world tag team. Did you see that? Did you I did pick not. Up on that? I did not. But I, Ross I is like, do you got anything to say to your mom? He's like, hi, Mom. <laughs> oh, I, you know, yeah, see? Yeah. Yeah, Damn, I didn't, I didn't even pay attention. Jim Ross trying to help everybody out. He loves that character. My God. And next week, it's the Nature Boy Ric Flair defending the world title against the Great Muda. Now, that's a dream match. They should uh, build that oh, yeah. as a November to Remember dream match. That's huge, man. Yeah, that is free for free TV. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was excited to hear that. And we close out the weekend, November 19th. The NWA main event taped back on November 6th in Savannah, Georgia, the Civic Center. It is again the Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer. He has made the rounds. All five shows. I don't know if anybody's ever done this. All five shows in a single weekend. Buzz Sawyer. With Gary Hart and Mr. J in his corner taking on Scrap Iron Bill Ford, Lance Russell on commentary. We go flashback in time to TVS of years gone by here because Buzz Sawyer just mauling and torturing poor jobbers. All again here in 1989. It feels like Georgia Championship Wrestling again, at least to me. It's suplexes and a stiff flying forearm grinding the elbow into Ford's ear. Just nasty. Buzz Sawyer being Buzz Sawyer. He winds up suplexing Ford on the floor and winning on a countout. In four minutes and 47 <laughs> seconds. Post-match, Sawyer, he, he's pissed off that, that Ford never got up and got back in the ring. He wanted to do more damage. So the jobbers try to carry Ford out at this point. I wrote, Dick Slater and Buzz Sawyer wouldn't have been pretty, but they would have been a badass tag team had Dick Slater stuck around. Oh, yeah, they would have been great together. I, I got to give props to Lance Russell. Um, we were running out of time on being able to do that, so... Yeah, uh, he did an excellent, excellent job of selling that suplex on the floor, um, and only in a way that only Lance Russell can. Really, really cool. Yeah, and what's crazy is on like all these, he's been on every show, but he like opens every show. He's the first guy you see on Power Hour, I think on Worldwide, even in the main event. I know he's a little bit down uh, on Saturday night, but right. like on, on this syndication type stuff and and uh, like the main event and stuff, he was the first guy you saw. And if I'm flipping the channels and I see Buzz Sawyer just beating the shit out of somebody, I'm sticking around. So um, excellent placement as far as that goes. He's an attention grabber for sure. Yeah, that's definitely a way to keep people tuning in. Holy shit, look at this guy. He looks coked out. Oh, he is coked out. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's no lie. So Cornette's been explaining himself all weekend, but I thought this was short, brief, to the point. I like this the best of the promos for the weekend, at least in my opinion anyway. It's Jim Cornette once again explaining himself in the Midnight Express. Okay, right now we're going to go take a look and see what Jimmy Cornette has to say about the incidents at the New York knockout, if he can explain it. <laughs> even though you people already know, even though you've already been informed about the biggest plot, the biggest conspiracy, the biggest scam and con in the history of sports, a lot of people across the country are still going, why Jim Cornette, why Midnight Express? You stabbed your friends in the back. Hey, 
I didn't stab my friends in the back because they're standing right here in front of you. <laughs> These are the only friends I've got. They didn't stab their friends in the back because we're all three together. And that's all that matters. That's the only people we've ever cared about before. And that's the only people we care about now. When we had fans cheering for us, fans supporting us, we didn't have the World Tag Team Championship. We had it twice without you. That means you people aren't even good enough to get us the belts when we deserve them. It's your fault that we haven't been champions. And I'll tell you something else. Dynamic dudes, we saw you on the horizon. Right now, you're inexperienced. You may not pose a threat, but next year you might have. And that's why we decided to hop on you and nip you in the bud before you got started. We remembered back to the Rock and Roll Express and, and the Fantastics and the teams that have given us the most trouble. And the dudes looked like they might be the best ones of the bunch, but not anymore because we demoralized you guys. And you know what? I think we're finished with the whole bunch of them. Stan, Jim, I <laughs> you realize that I almost ruined my reputation as a gangster of love by having to hug and kiss. All those ugly, pimply face, stretch marks, fat broads. You, do you realize that I would have been banned for life from the dollhouse in Myrtle Beach if I had known about this? Nobody's going to derail the Midnight Express because we're the greatest team in professional wrestling and the real Midnight Express is back. I enjoyed that promo. <laughs> what can I say? I enjoyed it too. Stan Lane cracking me up. I'm, it's cool that they're healed because he actually talks when they were faced. He didn't really say much. So um, Stan was never one for a lot of words, but he is getting a, a few lines in here. Oh, man. I enjoy. I enjoy it too. And man, like I mentioned on the Monday show, I've been watching some superstars while working and yeah, he's on there with Vince and he's saying shit and doing things. I'm like, you're really doing this in front of Vince, like getting a gimmick over. And I'm like, I'm kind of shocked because I don't picture Stan being, that out there as far as putting himself out there with jokes and stuff but man he was he's cracking me up on some of it like i know i think he's already gone though uh, on superstars from where i'm at but he got moved over to challenge i think when ross got let go maybe yeah yeah i he don't didn't know last but, yeah uh, no yeah he definitely gets moved over to challenge unfortunately God. stan lane had it because you know he had done a little uh, radio dj work in the past so him and like i i've told you this a thousand times but him and johnny polo killed it every week like they just they probably were but young teenage me uh, thought to myself, geez, these two sound like they're high. They probably were high. <laughs> the reason. But, uh, I mean, it was just constant hilarity for two hours every Saturday on Radio WWF when them two were on there throughout oh, the first all eight months of 1994 before the show show came to a close. It was good stuff. He has a, not to sound weird or anything, but he has a voice that you can listen to and then doesn't get old. And that's, that's usually important when it comes to commentary and, and, and things like that. If you have, if you don't have a voice, it ain't going to work. And, uh, he definitely has a voice that's easy to listen to. So Stan's pretty awesome in my book. Yeah. I got double screwed by Stan in the WWF though, because when they announced the heavenly bodies were coming in, I knew the heavenly bodies is Tom Pritchard and Stan Lane. So when I heard that I was already a mark for the midnights. So I was like, Oh my fucking God, Stan Lane's coming to the WWF. Then all of a sudden that Jimmy Del Rey, you can imagine if you've never seen him before, <laughs> you, you look at him, you go, that is not Stan Lane. Um, obviously, it was like right after they switched. I guess they just, you know, recently switched from Lane to D Del Rey. Uh, Lane didn't want to make the travel anymore. So I didn't know that because there was no Internet at the time. Ninety three. The after mags are, you know, they're a month or two behind of what's really going on, at least. So I just like, what the fuck? This is not Stan Lane. And then Stan Lane pops up on in the WWF, but as an announcer and as a a straight lace announcer, not a heel that I was accustomed to. So I was just kind of bummed. He never like came out of commentary and wrestled. They, Vince never did that with guys like Ray Rougeau or Stan Lane. He never like let them go back to the ring, like do a storyline. 
Back in those days. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. I digress as we go on with the show. It's Ric Flair cutting another promo. He says, Terry Funk kept his word at the Clash, but not the rest of JTEX. He refers to Mr. J here as the Dragon Master, so the name change is in effect here post-Clash. Ric Flair says they wanted to rid the world of Ric Flair, did the JTEX Corporation. They tried, but along came Sting to even things up. However, then along came the, the most pompous overbearing ass in the sport, Lex Luger. I wrote, shoot. And Flair says <laughs> next time he sees JTEX and Luger, it'll be their last time. <laughs> Definitely a shoot. And I don't even think Lex Luger cares. He probably is like, yeah, you're not saying anything I don't already know there, yeah, Mr. Flair. He's probably just walking right past him <laughs> like the giant in Loch Ness or something. Eh, posing. Get out of my mirror, Flair. I don't give a <laughs> shit what you have to say. Jim Ross has <laughs> a... I wrote this down. It's really not anything of note, but I, I found it was funny. Jim Ross says, still to come, the New Zealand militia will take on Brian Pillman and Lex Luger. Of course, that is not the match, so I had to double-check this moving forward. I go, JR, are you sure you know what you're talking about? It's actually Sting and Pillman, not Luger and Pillman. can't believe they just leave this shit in the show. And uh, once again, <laughs> it's a recap of the Steiners defeating the Birds for the World Tag Team titles yesterday. And then it's Gary Hart and Mr. J. They have something to say following the clash. Ricky Flair, you're talking about what you did to Terry Funk. But let's remember one thing about Terry Funk. He is an American, and we all know that Americans have no culture. We know that it's a mass of people thrown together and prolifically make all kinds of mongoloid races. Oh my! But the Oriental is pure of blood, thought, and mind. There is nobody in this entire world that can say that they have put a one, two, three on the great Muta. His shoulders have not been pinned. And why is that? Because the Japanese refuse to accept defeat like the guy genes of the world. This time, you are not wrestling a mongoloid race of people. You are wrestling a Japanese. <laughs> oh my fucking God. Gary Hart, everybody mongoloids and orientals and i don't even know i'll focus on the one uh, positive here he does mention points out that the great mood is undefeated he's never been pinned other than that the wheels came off this promo at the beginning he lost me at mongoloid the first time and then he says it again and of course he's back to shitting on the guy gene well yeah of course terry funk's not here to keep him in check and actually cut good promo so it's back to being racist scary art oh lord um what what sucks is like he has he can get shit over and he can really enhance the story and, and move it forward, but he can't get out of his own way. So um, you just gotta listen and go past some of the stupid shit he says and pick up on the good things. At the end, he did really do a good job of putting Muda over, talking about how he's never been pinned. That's really the meat and potatoes of the entire promo. You can just ignore the rest. Back to the ring. I wish I could have ignored this. The Z-Man takes on Bob Cook. The entire match is a side headlock, and he eventually turns it into a sleeper hold. If you ask me, the entire match was a sleeper hold. Zen gets the win. Five minutes and 18 seconds of a headlock is the Z-Man as we go into the main event. It's Sting and Brian Pillman taking on the New Zealand Militia. I wrote, the baby faces control and dominate the first eight minutes and 30 seconds of this match. 
Finally, the heels lure Sting in while Tommy Young, with Tommy Young now attached to Sting, it's Pillman who tries an O'Connor roll on Jacko Victory, but he gets nailed by Rip Morgan. And the heels take over, and a lot of cheap crap corner heat choking him in the corner, chin lock. And out of nowhere, Lord Littlebrook, the former famous midget wrestler, shows up ringside, makes his NWA debut, however he's not named here. Lance Russell on commentary wonders if, if this little guy can't find his seat. What's the little guy doing here? Asks the Lancer. Jacko Victory finally misses a middle rope elbow. Allows Pillman to get the hot tag to Sting, and Rip Morgan tags in as well. It breaks down to a four-way melee as Sting nails a reverse crossbody block to get the win in 11 minutes and 30 seconds. And the real story here, believe it or not, is Lord Littlebrook, who enters the ring after the match and berates the militia. They're a disgrace representing the UK, he says. Pretty sure they're called the New Zealand Militia, Steve. Littlebrook says, go with him and he will take them to the top. They never explain why he chose the militia here, but he will make them become the tag team champions, but they must regroup and they must listen. He kicks their shins and stomps their toes. That'll get you over. Uh, what'd you think of Lord Littlebrook or just the mat, whatever, anything. What did you think? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't know how it's just not believable. Um, I guess is a, is a nice way to say it. I like Lord Littlebrook. I think he's cool. And like uh, later on, we hear a promo from him and I like his delivery and uh, things like that. But uh, just as a spectator, are you really taking the New Zealand militia more serious because they got uh, Littlebrook telling them what to do and say and stepping on their toes? It is looks like a comedy bit. Uh, right. Just one of those gimmick like a it's like a cheap imitation of a bushwhackers gimmick, but this, instead of doing stupid shit in the ring, they got a, a little guy bossing them around and doing things. So uh, I don't know what they were going for here. Uh, it's definitely awkward. I, I would give it a chance. I, I think there's some, not Jack victory, but you know, Rip Morgan, I think is decent to me. You, it's hard to reestablish anything when you've basically jobbed them out for an entire year. So adding a manager or trying to give him one little, uh, you know, give him a bone, things like that. It's not going to work when all you've seen these guys do is job, job, job. Like, it doesn't matter who you can give them Gary Hart and Jim Cornette at the same time, and it ain't going to help them none. Yeah, I'm trying they to still do, suck do in the some math and, here in my head. I'm trying to figure out who came up with giving Lord Littlebrook a job. I'm not I'm not even trying to shit on him. I'm just saying, who thought of this? Like, you know, you know who we should hire? Lord Littlebrook. It was it's really weird. Yeah, like. I mean, Littlebrook, don't get me wrong. The guy's been around the midget circuit since the beginning of time. I mean, he's one of the legendary heel midgets of all time. And he trained full-size wrestlers. He trained Mike George, who ruled down in uh, the Mid-South for years and Central States. Um, He trained Ed Wiskoski, who also you may know as Colonel De Beers. And he trained Butch Reed, believe it or not. So it's not like the guy's, you know incapable of doing things just because he's a small guy but it's, be it. i don't think butch reed has any pop pull here he's only been back in the company a month or well, two no but i mean if if sullivan's on the booking committee and he got doomed together and butch reed maybe there's a connection there i don't know it, it just i don't i've never seen this work i think that's what the biggest thing is like you you've never really seen a um a little person managing a big team i'm not right. discrediting him at all just as a visual, it's it's weird looking. No, you can um, tell it's meant to be comedy. He's kicking him in the shins and stomping him on the toes. Yeah. 
But then and then but then like what goes on next is like it's a very serious promo and he's trying to rile him up and get him going and become serious. So it's like, what are you going with here? Yeah, they do. They do wind up turning into the the royal family eventually here. I don't think they do that here in 1989, unfortunately, but. I, I dug their outfits as the royal family anyway. We close out the show. Yeah. We get comments from both Sting and Lex Luger about a lot of the recent shenanigans that went on at the Clash and whatnot. We're going to listen right now. Actually, yeah, we're going to listen right now to the Stinger, and then we're going to pick up Lex Luger's response. You tried to embarrass a good friend of mine. You're trying to embarrass me, so what do I do? I slap you in the face and test you eye to eye. What do you do in return? Absolutely nothing, Lex. Why? Because maybe you don't have any guts, that's why. The difference between me and a trophy that you bashed in is I hit back. Yeah. Bam! Right in the face, and I'll do it even to you, tunnel package! Boy, how sweet it is. The tunnel package takes out the whole NWA in one clean swoop. Because you know what? I truly am... The king of the hill, baby. The premier wrestler in our sport today. There's nothing that can touch the total package, Lex Luger. Now, Sting, we were friends. When I extend my hand in friendship, it wields a lot of power and influence. And what do I get in return but a cold slap in the face on national TV? Well, now, Sting, you felt what it's like to be my enemy. And Flair, you taught me that the end justifies the means. So why did I do it? Because I want the whole ball of wax. Everything. I want Sting. I want Flair. I want the world title. And I don't care how I have to do it. The Luger character has become bigger than the entire business at this point. He wants everyone and everything in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, That's the goal now. Um, He's moved on from just being content with where he was at. Now it's like, okay, I'm already the U S champion. It's time to take that next level up. And, um, uh, we're not, we're never going to, we may get there at some point, but uh, we're not going to get there during this year, but it's very, very unfortunate that sting gets injured because I really, really feel like at this point you have a top heel that could really elevate your, your company. He has the look. His promos are on point. His in-ring's been solid as long as he has the right opponents. But, hell, he's getting good matches out of Tommy Rich. So I really, really feel like he was on that path to getting to where everybody thought he would end up being. And then the ACL happened. So who knows what would have happened. It could have been a completely different story for uh, Lex Luger uh, if that never happened. Yeah, you know, you Jim know, Hurd actually was a big proponent of putting the belt on Luger here. He didn't want Sting as champion. He wanted Luger as champion next. He thought Luger was the greatest thing because of he was young, obviously. Sting was young, but he just loved his look as well. So Hurd mm-hmm. thought Luger was the good idea here, but Flair had already promised to let Sting be the next champion, if that's the way you want to word it. Um, so, And Flair never really he I know seemed to get out of every time he was supposed to drop the belt to Luger. Flair seemed to find a way out of it. Say. That's what it seemed like he never would job the Luger uh, for the belt. So I, it, we talked about it early on in the grenade. I just think about it. Flair is still face. Um, they don't do the angle at the clash. Luger goes into Wrestle War, wins the belt as the top heel in the company. Maybe he takes out Flair in the post-match, and then Sting gets the revenge, and you can still get the title on him or give it a long-ass feud that could probably make it to Starcade between those two. 
uh, kind of like how they did Funk Flair. And who knows? Like, like the, that's the kind of stuff you need and have to have in order to establish yourself as a top draw and a top guy. When you get shoved into the mix and you got to quickly turn and that just kills all momentum. And he never, I don't think Luger ever regained it after the, the, the face turn here in nine in at the early 90. So no matter how good flair is as a heel, Luger never really regained what he got here in 89. I can go along with that. And I love Luger. He was my number two underneath sting as a kid in 1990, 91, but when he won the world title, it just, it didn't, I don't know. It didn't sit well. Obviously, beat Barry Windham for it in that cage match. No fault to Luger or Windham's. Uh, just I don't know. It was here. You go, <laughs> and then they had to turn a flare given Flair giving Luger the bird one more time. That's what that was. <laughs> well, you look at it like this: they have to turn him face because Sting gets injured, and then they have to turn yeah. him heel because Flair leaves the company, and they need a top heel. So Lex's next two turns are based on other people's you know issues, and neither one of them made yeah. sense when they happened. So, you know, yep. I mean, he, why is it him? Why Luke? Why do you go immediately to Lex Luger? It's the next, he's the next guy up. That's... I think he's the next guy up in both instances. Certainly the next guy up. Uh, oh. who's, who else is credible to take on flair when sting goes down and who, and Luger gets the belt over Wyndham. Look at uh, no offense to Wyndham. He's tremendous, but in 91, yeah, he's no Ric Flair. And now you need a top heel. You have no top heel. Uh, give it to the guy who's yeah. a, who, who's a heel at heart. <laughs> The total package. <laughs> uh, we'll go on, though. By then, like, nobody cares because he's been turned so many dang times. Yeah, uh, and he's really got nobody to work with on top of that, outside yeah. of Sting on the way out. I mean, that's, you know, that's the go-to. But we uh, we move on to the next week. It's November 24th, and the Power Hour in Corpus Christi, Texas, taped back on a November 13th. This is two days before the clash. Still no Jim Cornette. JR going solo again. I believe Cornette returns next week as a heel. He's a heel. Gary Michael Capetta on uh, ring announcing here. I love that. As the Pearl of the Orient, the great Muda TV champion, heads to the ring with Gary Hart to take on Frogman LeBlanc. It's all the good stuff here. Muda's handspring elbow, spinning back kick, power drive elbow. Muda with the Scorpion. But the Frogman doesn't submit. Muda goes up, nails the moonsault, and gets the win in 2 minutes 55 seconds. Can Muda remain undefeated at Starcade? Is the story they ask here. During commentary, it's nice to get a Muda squash with uh, some of his fun uh, moves here for once. It's crazy how fast he got toned down. He came in guns blazing, and now he's just sputtering. Like he doesn't have that. I mean, he's Muda. He's great, obviously, but he just doesn't have that aura around him that he had when he first came in. And I think it's because he was just—he's a second. He's been a second for everybody. He's in there with Dick Slater. He's in there with Terry Funk. It's it's about everybody else. He was never really the prominent feature. So you really, by the time you do, you know, you got eight months of that, he kind of loses it a little bit, which is unfortunate. This hasn't been the same ever. I can't really pinpoint it when it happened, but he just doesn't feel like the same. No, I won't argue that. It's, uh, it's uh, he's not slower. He just, he's no. not moving with as much enthusiasm, I think. He's uh, still hitting he, all the he good seems, stuff. He just, seems dejected. Like, he just doesn't yeah. seem invested, like, when he first no. came in. Like, yeah, he was it feels all like he's on his way out. out. He's just waiting to, to to get his last paycheck or something here. And it's not that he's it's bad. Like, he's just not. No, no. He's just it's, doing it. It's one of those things where I'd be. It's one of those things where I would feel. I'd be interested to know kind of what was going on. Right. Was, like, Gary Hart getting into his head at this point. Which is, that's the story. And, right. And. 
is it, is it really starting to take over where he's just like, okay, I'm doing all this crap and it's going to get me nowhere because these guys are never going to support me or get me where I need to be. So well, F it, I'm just going to go through the motions. Like, you, you know, I, what, I know, you know what happens to Muda at Starcade, And according to Cornette, that was pretty much it for him. <laughs> he was, uh, like he was in, done with- in his own, like, like he was pissed. He was mentally done with the company after the way he was booked at Starcade. I he can't was, uh, blame he, him. He was ready to go back home. I can't blame him either. And it's time for Gordon Soley. And ah, ah, the WNN is Soley Talks Starcade 89 Future Shock. The round robin tournament and the rules. Starcade 89, Iron Man News and Rules. And then a match by match list. A breakdown of all the matches four guys in a round robin tournament because I guess Steve we're stupid and we can't figure out the matches on our own. It's six singles matches, six tag team matches and a coin toss will determine the order of the matches. And it's going to be held in the Omni in Atlanta. I would say wise choice. If this was a normal star K because Atlanta seems to be the arena that the fans just keep coming back to no matter what they're giving them. But we'll see what happens when we get to Starcade and how the fans react. And Gordon then talks a little bit about Clash of the Champions 9 and the Fallout. And now a personal note, if you may. If I sounded a little bit frivolous last week in regarding the New York knockout and the I Quit match between Terry Funk and Ric Flair, let me take this moment to reflect upon that night, November 15th in Troy, New York. You know, dynasties die, but legends live on. I'd like to refer back to some notes that I've made after having an opportunity to talk to both Ric Flair and a Terry Funk. You know, when Terry Funk publicly conceded, and then on the TBS television network, a dynasty did, in fact, end. But the legend goes on. I'd like to point out that when he said, I quit, in one of the most brutal, Give no slack matches that I've ever seen. Terry Funk did one thing above all. As the dynasty died, the legend grew on. Because Terry Funk managed to preserve the honor, the integrity, and the respect of the Funk name in the wrestling world. And I might point out that this man whose body has been ravaged by combat in the ring, whose mind was tortured by the fact that he did say, I quit, he did preserve his family's honesty. And for that, I have to congratulate him. I don't believe that we will see Terry Funk wrestle again, but I do believe that he will continue to be an influence in professional wrestling. I, for one, wish him well. I have disagreed with him many times. I've known him since he was a child. I've also known him now as a man when he resolved that difference that he had with Ric Flair. So I wish you good luck, Terry. And may I add a final note, if I may? Uh, to Ric Flair. You know, Rick, you've proven yourself to be among the best. And after that I Quit match, you proved yourself to be the very, very best. But to be generous in victory could be your greatest triumph. It's over with Terry Funk. Pursue your own greatness and your own legend. And gentlemen, I say to both of you, go back to your roots. That's WNN for this week. I never realized how good Gordon Sully was here in 1989 when he has a reason to really cut a promo like these, this funk and, and flare feud and things. He's really done a great job as, as of late, especially. Yeah. I put it down like this is a, an amazing segment. Just tremendous. 
I'm kind of on the fence with Gordon Soley, but I, I can really, I can really feel and tell when he's invested in the athletes in the match. He doesn't get this way with everybody. He right. gets this way with people that he was probably, you know, commentating on for years and years in Florida and just people he's affiliated with and worked with for days. And like, you don't get this with a flying Brian match. You don't, I'm not knocking flying Brian, but he just doesn't have that connection to him. Yeah. You know, what he's saying here is the absolute heartfelt truth, how he feels about both of these guys. I, I don't know how much like he knows going into these matches and things like that, what the story is. I don't know if he wants to know, I don't know how he worked or what he did. But I can it, honestly, it feels like a very, very highly intelligent individual narrating what people are feeling when it came to this match. And um, this was a perfect uh, ribbon on top of this feud. Soli summed it up perfectly, and um, it felt genuine and authentic. And you can't, you cannot replicate that. You can't. If it's fake, you, you see right through it. This was not fake. Uh, this was this wasn't an angle. This was nothing. This was him giving his thoughts and opinions on something he cared about, and uh, this was tremendous, tremendous. Yeah. Gordon Soli, really an unsung hero here in 1989. Nobody really talks about him in 1989, and he really ever since he's walked in the door, anytime he's been invested oh, in something, he's really put it over. Power Hour, like WNN's been awesome. Like <laughs> I look forward to it after that first match. WNN, I'm like, this is this is what I like to listen to, and see what he has to say. Like I said, it's not everything. Like he just spews shit out for like Norman and some of that stuff. But right. when you give him Funk and Flair, or even what Luger, I think it was the Luger Pillman match where he did an excellent job of bringing in their attitudes on the in the football field and how yeah. they attacked, you know, their college athletics and things like that. Like it just felt authentic. I mean, that's how he told the story, and it's different. It's a different set of eyes and ears on the on the angles that you don't necessarily get anymore now it's like you know everybody you just have your main commentators you know you got michael cole and Corey graves like they're telling the story and that's the only story you hear and you don't Vince's have anybody story, else really which is usually hyping things that have nothing to do with the story <laughs> yeah that's kind of why i'm not gonna i know we kind of made fun of AEW for their dud of a of a sparkler show there I do like their hype videos because they they get everybody involved like they tony shivani's talking Jim Ross is talking. Taz is talking. Excalibur is talking. I mean, Don Callis, when it comes to the Kenny Omega stuff. So you're getting all the different eyeballs and angles and things like that instead of just the same one or two uh, commentary people. Right. And I like that. I want to see other people's ideas or what they feel and think about it. And to be honest with you, Gordon Soley is probably the best at doing it. I mean – goodness like this gives you chills like if you watch that new york knockout match and then come and watch the power hour the next week and you hear or two weeks later whatever it was yeah and you listen to gordon solely sum it up this way you're just thinking back to the match and kind of reliving it through what he's saying and it's just like damn yeah he's he's i wish really, i could think like him yeah really <laughs> yeah he's from a bygone era when people talked like that. <laughs> people aren't so well spoken in today's day, yeah, like, like Gordon Sully here, just a really good job with the words he used and everything. I thought it was uh, tremendous. That's why I, I picked up the soundbite. I was like, wow, this is too good to try to repeat. <laughs> just write down some notes. Yeah, I was, I was typing my notes, and then by the time I was done, I was like, yeah, he's pulling this audio. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. So I'm glad I got to hear it again. We go back to the ring. It's Z-Man and Brian Pillman teaming up. They'll be an on-again, off-again team moving forward, taking on the Cuban Assassin and El Diablo. 
double dropkick early on, and I wrote, Zink and Pillman's double dropkick is already better than the Dynamic Dudes. This is simply a showcase match, stretched out squash, faces on top all the way. And the finish sees Brian Pillman pick up Diablo in a suplex as Zink comes off with a dropkick combo, and they get the win in 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Fun little team, I just hated that Pillman kind of got sidetracked into this Z-Man team for a while. We go on to Funk's Grill. It's a somber and humble Terry Funk. He compares and contrasts himself with Terry or with Ric Flair. Ric Flair riding the Lear Jets. Terry Funk riding coach. The cars. Ric Flair, of course, in a limousine. Terry Funk, he likes a, a beat-up pickup truck, Steve. And, of course, Ric Flair likes the big cities. And Terry Funk, he's happy right down there in the Double Cross Ranch in Amarillo. At Clash of the Champions, it was either a broken leg or quit the match. Terry Funk chose to quit the match. He said he'd shake Ric Flair's hand, and he did. Now, he won't say Flair is the better man, but he will say Ric Flair is a hell of a man and a hell of a champion. Funker says he has no respect for Gary Hart, calls him a slime ball, wants nothing to do with JTEX Corporation nor Gary Hart moving forward. He wants Funk's grill and this world to be fun. So next week, he hopes to return and make everyone laugh. So Funk kind of just moving away as a wrestler and moving back. Well, he was already trying to do comedy on Funk's Grill prior to this, so that's a little more of the same there. <laughs> yeah, you said this was kind of Jim Hurd just kind of told him hey, you're going to be doing a, you're going to be a commentator. Yeah. Did he did he buy into it at any point, or was he kind of just like frustrated to be done wrestling, or was he happy to get paid and sit there and talk about it? Uh, you know, they gave him some kind of silly name, like a head of syndication, director of syndication or something. Like you can't, I can't see Terry Funk directing or keeping, keeping track of anything the way his mind is and the way he doesn't really pay attention to things. He's just out there really having fun. A lot of the times we've seen that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't really know. I, I haven't heard anybody really say, I know that it was unexpected by Funk when he was told that, Hey, by the way, you're retiring. You're going to become an announcer. can't imagine that went over, uh, you know, greatly. With him, obviously, he's out the door here in 1990, so doing other things. Yeah, I don't have a complete answer for that. It's a good question. Good question. I'm oh, going to say I like that I, I don't think he necessarily cared for it completely. Yeah, I can I can see. You can kind of even sense it a little bit when he's with Chris Cruz and kind of doing the gimmick where he's with Gordon Soley trying to learn how to open up a show and, and things like that. It doesn't seem like he's too into it. Just kind of going through the motions, but I remember when the first time I watched Wrestle War and I hear him on there doing commentary. I'm like, oh, Funk was a commentator. Um, I didn't mind him actually. Really, I, for some reason, I bring up Wrestle War all the time. It, it, it's not a very good show by any means, but I love watching it. Terry Funk does really good there with Jim Ross. Tuxedo Terry does pretty good there. So uh, he's not bad on commentary, uh, but initially well you'll you'll hear some of these worldwides with chris cruz he's, he's got to break in a little we got to break those boots in just a little bit uh, a oh, little rough around the edges he's, he's broken in he's broken yeah. in by wrestler and he's way better than dusty Rhodes was i'll tell you that well yeah i mean that's well yeah. <laughs> once he got his feet going he was good so we close out the power hour with a promo for starcade then it's world champion rick flair defending his title against mike rotunda uh, this was on an episode of the main event uh, several weeks ago, it's called an encore presentation of the Flair and Rotunda match. It did peak, uh, I believe, the, the best rating on the main event or maybe the second best rating of the entire year. So maybe they thought they could do the same here on the Power Hour. And in reality, I'm sure it's just because they didn't have enough shit in the can. And so it filled the spot Probably. here this week. Ric Flair retains over Mike Rotunda. 
The commercials are intact on this episode of Power Hour, so I marked out for a Christmas vacation commercial. Don't get to see that every time you just turn around. I, I, I like that. It made me feel, feel all warm and fuzzy inside. It let me know that we're heading into the holidays here in 1989. Sure, I, I got a shitload of G.I. Joes that year, I bet. And Wrestler of the <laughs> Week on his way out. A salute to Terry Funk, the Wrestler of the Week this week. Jim Ross talks Starcade to close the show. He says Lex Luger is the man to beat right now. And that's pretty much the story going all the way into Starcade. Everybody believes this. It's probably the way they should have went. Well, I mean, it was booked that way. Certainly. I, I think even DeMeltz was shocked when Luger didn't get the win there at Starcade. Makes, um, it makes no sense. Unfortunately, this but. is where the pros become missing in action. There's no more pros, at least to the best of my knowledge, in existence here for 1989. So if anybody has them again, let us know. We could really use these. I want to see just one more Lance Russell and Bob Cottle show on the way out here in 1989. But the way it looks right now, we have no more pros for the entire year of 1989, unfortunate to say. We're going to move on to Worldwide for November 25th, take back on November 13th. Also, Corpus Christi, Texas. It's Chris Cruz with Jim Ross, and this is the last time for Jim Ross because starting next week, it'll be Chris Cruz and Terry Funk. We see highlights from Clash of the Champions as Lex Luger destroys the trophies. We go to the ring with the Road Warriors. and Roadies taking on Trent Knight and Chris Allen. Trent Knight pressed by Road Warrior Hawk, and Allen takes the brunt of the offense. It's the doomsday device on poor Allen as the Roadies get a win. One minute and nine seconds. This is a tremendous crowd here down in Corpus Christi. Promo time with Woman, Doom, and now Nitron. The big giant Nitron has been added to the group. We saw that at Clash of the Champions. Doom promised to bring Woman the tag team titles from the Steiner Brothers. And to the ring, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer against Tommy Angel. Once again, Sawyer mauls his opponent. Gets the win pretty quick here this week. Diving splash ends at 1 minute 51 seconds. NWA update. More Starcade talk, the Iron Man and Iron Team tournaments. And an, another update with Pedicino knows immediately after the NWA update. <laughs> and we get the list of matches. Uh, talk about product placement on the show. We get an NWA update with Starcade and immediately after a Pedicino knows. Basically the same exact thing. That's all this is for the next three weeks, let's be honest. <laughs> and we get a replay. Every update, it, everything. Yeah, what, well, what can you do when you have uh, round-robin tournaments involved? All you can do is just keep running these guys out there to attack one another. You can't really do much more than that for the storyline purposes. And we get a replay from the November 19th main event of the Lex Luger promo where he would prove himself as king of the hill in NWA by any means necessary. More clash highlights as we see Jim Cornette's turn on the Dynamic Dudes, Luger on Brian Pillman, and then the Sting Brawl that took place after the match. We see the four-team brawl between the four teams supposedly at Starcade after Doom runs in on the Steiners and Scrapers match. We see the end of the show with Terry Funk's loss to Flair and then the Japanese attack Flair, as Jim Ross describes it. The Japanese attack Flair! And then, of course, Sting does the run-in and Luger ends things there. A clip, this is a really highlighted show here. The Steiners win the tag titles from last week over the Freebirds in a clip. And we get a promo. Chris Cruz interviews the Steiners. And they have both belts, so here it is, both belts. As of November 13th, <laughs> there are two titles. We know this. And the Steiners will defend against anyone. Doom, the Skyscrapers, anyone. Then it's on to a world champion Ric Flair promo. He too talks Starcade. He talks Luger, Sting, and Muda, all in one night. And another promo. It's Doom with Woman and Nitro. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're going back to the ring finally. 
It's Doom with Woman and Nitron in their corner, taking on Mike Justice and Bob Emery. Just when you think Woman can't get any hotter, oh my God, was she something here in this one. And she's still coming out to the Struts song, the Bob Seger song, but we do know by Starcade that that shit's gone out the door. So somebody got wind of this in the Bob Seger camp. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm surprised it lasts as long as it did, to be honest with you. Uh, I've yeah, watched this stuff for the next couple episode, months. and it's still going. It goes. I think it goes all the way up to Starcade. I think. Wow. I know it's not at Starcade. Uh, they, they don't. They don't try yeah, to. I'm surprised. Get away with that. Uh, no, I wouldn't either on pay per view. But that's uh, that's dicey taking that chance. I'm shocked that the Steiners have Guns and Roses as long as they do. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they've had that since the summer, especially in '89. Yeah, man, they're pushing their luck. <laughs> Doom against Mike Justice and Bob Emery here. Butch Reed forced Emery to submit to a standing armbar a la Ole Anderson. After hitting a flying knee smash to Emery's stretched out arm just moments prior, Doom back to the submission win here, three minutes and ten seconds. I'm sure that'll change very soon with the Andersons back in town. Pettacino knows. More Starcade talk in the Iron Team Tournament. There supposedly is a promo from the roadies here. I don't have it, but apparently they claim they would prove to be the Iron Men at Starcade, just like their music says. So, makes sense. Yeah. Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart with a promo. Buzz can't be in there with Muda at Starcade because then there would no longer be a flare or sting. I thought that's the entire goal. Buzz not making sense there because cocaine's a hell of a drug. Muda will instead take out Flair at Starcade and remain undefeated. Gary asks, can Sting and Flair make Muda undefeated? That doesn't even make sense, Gary. Can he make can they make Muda undefeated? I think he meant defeated. Gary Hart being Gary Hart. Back to the ring. Maybe Pil- un undefeated. Oh, un undefeated. Okay. Sure. Now you're yeah, making excuses for Gary worse. Hart? No <laughs> that's way. It's even worse. I'm not dying that's on that fucking worse. hill. <laughs> uh, maybe that's what he meant. I don't know, but it could be what he meant. At him. I'm not. Co- I'm yeah, looking at I'm him. Like, what that. the hell does that even mean? And then maybe he meant un undefeated, but that's terrible. Yeah, and we're gonna close God, out. Say, can you make him lose a match? Shit, yeah. is it that hard? It is for Gary here. He's not talking about <laughs> mongoloids this week, though, or anything like or that. Or guy jeans. Guy jeans. Damn guy jeans. <sighs> Gary Hart. Is it like mom jeans, guy jeans? I don't know. <laughs> U.S. champion Lex Luger gives Brian Pillman a third chance at winning his title. We get an insert promo from Pillman. He promises this time, third time's a charm, Steve, he will take the title. Followed by an insert promo from Lex Luger before the match, Pillman is in his way on the road to Starcade. Luger attacks Pillman before the bell tosses Pillman to the floor, follows him out, but Brian Pillman manages to take over. And it's flying Brian getting over, dominating the total package. Pillman takes the Bret Hart chest bump in the corner. Wonder where he learned that from. And a clothesline from behind. As Luger places him in the tree of woe, Luger then shoves referee Tommy Young down and grabs the chair, causing a disqualification. Three minutes and 36 seconds as Luger looks to maim Brian Pillman. Stinger makes the save. Rams Luger's face into the mat. Stinger splash. They brawl. And female fan tries to enter the ring, but security intercepts her. I wonder what she was trying to do there. She's trying to save Sting, Luger. What the hell was going on? Take your pick. I don't know. You don't see that. <laughs> you haven't seen that often here in '89. Uh, but it was a fun little match. It wasn't really a match. A fun little segment to segue from Pillman and Luger over to Sting and Luger here, which is clearly what they're trying to do. We close out the show promo. Chris Cruz talks to Sting and Flying Brian. Pillman says Luger makes him sick, and Sting says he will get revenge on the total package at Starcade. 
Yeah, you kind of felt like after a third title match that this is more of an angle than anything else because they've had two pretty long matches and Luger's won both times pretty definitively, so Pillman doesn't necessarily deserve a third match. So you kind of felt something was coming and it didn't take long to get there. Pretty solid stuff. Easy way to get the, the heat over to Sting to take over for Pillman, especially since Pillman's injured, that sort of stuff too. So it makes sense. Solid, solid booking. It's NWA World Championship Wrestling for November 25th. Starting time is 5.50 because of an upcoming, Haw- upcoming Hawks and Celtics game. Now Boston, now That's Kevin Sullivan's, one. yeah. Now Kevin Sullivan's interested, I'm sure. But too bad he's out here with Jim Ross as they're trying Kevin Sullivan out as a replacement for Jim Cornette here. On commentary, it's Kevin Francis Michael Sullivan as co-host, <laughs> says Sullivan here. With Jim Ross, we kick it off with a six-man tag team match. It's the SST, Samu Fatu, and Samoan Savage with Oliver Humperdinck taking on Trent Knight. Mike Ford, they call him. It's actually Mike, Mike Thor out here. And Tim Hughes. We get an insert promo from Humperdinck. The SST are accepting any challengers. In a six-man tag team match, Samu kicks Thor's face off early on, then Savage with his own kick, then the SST with a double kick. So they're just super, it's like a super kick party here. In 1989 for the Samoans, as Savage nails the side slam and Samu with a diving headbutt on Hughes gets the win in only 3.35. Show goes on. New Zealand Militia now managed by Lord Littlebrook, taking on Ricky Nelson and Mike Jackson. Kevin Sullivan, well, I can't call it racist, but it's certainly not PC for today's day and age, mocking Lord Littlebrook with the old De Plain, De Plain boss, the Fantasy Island. With the tattoo, man. oh my God, I can't believe the things people could do in, in other time periods here. Lord Littlebrook, I, this is where I noted, uh, you know, some of the guys, Littlebrook Train, Butch Reed, Mike George, Colonel DeBeer. So he is credible. They're not going to announce that on TV, but it is true. Uh, they mock uh, Mike Jackson. How many times has he been the Alabama junior heavyweight champion? That's actually a really uh, old and funny joke. I think Mike Jackson won the Alabama Junior Heavyweight title as many times as Jerry Lawler's been a Memphis champion, to be honest with you. It's an inside joke that they actually even mention on Radio WWF. I think Stan Lane one time on Outthink the Pink said, uh, how many times did Mike Jackson win the Alabama Junior Heavyweight Championship? So it's uh, it's just been a running joke in the business for a very long time. The Militia actually wind up hitting the old wrecking ball on Nelson and a double gourd buster. Ripper gets the win on Ricky Nelson in about four minutes. I thought the Militia, even though, like you pointed out, they, they were comedy on the last show, they're far more aggressive and serious here. They almost felt like a real team. Uh, even if this is all just a work, um, I kind of bought into it. Uh, more so than the comedy bit from last week, anyway. Yeah, I mean, he, like I said, they kill me. he comes in and stretches Kane and gets him riled up and going, and they go in there and kick people's ass. They don't really try to work too hard or do anything and uh, they just get right to it. And so it feels like they have a direction uh, where they want to go. It's not bad. It really isn't. I don't mind. I'm with you. Like the world family and stuff. It never really bothered me. I was, it's just, it's just not what you're accustomed to seeing. And once you get past it, uh, just give it a chance. It's really not that bad to be honest. Uh, We're then treated with a quick promo from Teddy long. He talks Starcade 89. The skyscraper is going to beat every team in wrestling. Make an example out of the road warriors. I bet none of that happens, Steve. As we go back to the ring, it's the roadies taking on Terry Bronson and Pablo Crenshaw. The roadies attack and Crenshaw is just absolutely awful here. Must be in, in his green stage. I know he sticks around, does jobs for WCW in the future, but 
this wasn't pretty. He didn't even know how to hit the ropes properly. Bronson finally gets the tag in to take the Doomsday device because if Crenshaw took it, he probably would have broke his neck. Rhodey's get the win here in a minute and 23 seconds, followed by a promo with the Road Warriors and Paul Ellering. Now they talk Starcade. Man, I'm going to say that a lot here today. These skyscrapers mm-hmm. are coming for revenge on the scrapers. It's the first time ever the Rhodes will meet Doom and the Steiner. So good selling points there. Animal says the Rhodes ruled the 80s and they're going to rule the 90s. I don't know about that. Hawk says he's never met a building that wasn't built up to be torn down, referring to the skyscrapers. And they tell Doom they're doomed. But no mention of the Steiners here. Not yet. Give it a week or two. Starcade 89 <laughs> update with promos, by once again, by Lex Luger. Uh, another one clean swoop promo, by the way. Lex Luger, uh, they're like rehashing, replaying promos from yeah. other shows. Uh, it's another thing yeah, I noted they, here. It's kind of like those uh, event center type promos that we've seen in, yeah. during the summer. Mm-hmm. Between like Flair and Funk is the same one over and over. It almost feels like that's what they're doing for Starcade. It's like... It almost feels like a month off a little bit for him, like as the build goes, because you really you don't do any angles. I mean, they, you know why these guys are in the matches. You know why they're in the tournament. You know why they're picked. They all have things that have been going on for months, so it's not like you have to do anything. Just cut a few promos, stick them in the can, and <laughs> go do what you do until we get to Starcade. Just don't get hurt, Sid. Come on, man. But no, um, that's what it feels like. It's very lazy. I don't know if that was intended. Or what the case may be. I'm just wondering. This was a Jim Hurd call. So I'm wondering if people are pissed off about it. And uh, they're not really putting forth the effort. Well, unless you, you would I, expect. It's like I said. Show. Unless you just have these guys come out here every week and attack one another. Which is going to get monotonous. There's nothing really you can, you can even do about this. This is. Yeah, I poorly mean, thought but, out. I mean, you can still have them cut different promos. I mean, hell, my. No, oh, oh, yeah. I agree with you there. Uh, I'm just mean outside of that. Yeah. But I, I guess the thing we're not, we're doing too is we're looking at five shows over a three day period, whereas it, most people only would watch maybe one or two of them, and that was it. So, and then you go to the next week. Well, we're trying to watch five shows <laughs> in you know a short period of time, yeah. so we're hearing the same promos over and over and over, and that's for good reason. If you miss one show, you're going to hear the promo on another one. So you they set it up to where you can actually miss a show if you needed to. And not miss anything. So that was smart. It's just when we're watching it this way, it kind of gets very repetitive and you can kind of see what they're doing. Right. It's a back to the ring with Doom, accompanied by Woman and Nitron, taking on Brody, Chase, and Mike Hart. I don't know what's happened. I mean, Woman was already beautiful, but oh my God, lately, man, these last few weeks, she's gotten more sluttier. It's <laughs> just hotter. <laughs> Kevin Sullivan. I'm happy when Doom comes out. I'll tell you that, man. Yeah. <laughs> How low is their type gonna top gonna be this week? Absolutely. Kevin Sullivan, remember, he's on commentary. So he knows who Doom are, but he's not telling JR. And they once again use the catapult into the diving shoulder block spot for their finisher in five minutes. Now we've seen that gone awry in the past. So even though they've hit it now a couple times and it hasn't looked too bad, this is not something you can utilize week to week. And it's odd that they they keep switching in between this move and an arm bar. Just really, really completely yeah. contrast. They don't know stuff. what they want to do. <laughs> Absolutely They don't not. have any clue what the, where they want to go. It feels like the skyscrapers. Yeah. We beat the shit out of people. Then all of a sudden, they'd be like, you know what? I don't want to work that long. I'm just going to hit a powerbomb in 30 seconds and go home. Uh, Doom kind of feels the same way. Uh, we're going to work the arm, go eight minutes. But this time, I just want to go three minutes and do the catapult. 
So uh, it's whatever they're feeling at the time, I guess. We get a clip of the Steiner brothers once again defeating the Freebirds for the World Tag Team titles last week. And we go to the ring. It's tag champion Steiners who bring a kid out of the crowd to stand ringside with them as they take on Carl Nelson and Randy Barber. And a kid actually winds up hitting Carl Nelson with one of the World Tag Team titles. I loved it. It was great. Scotty Steiner with a top rope Samoan drop on Nelson, who tries to fight it. He does not want to take this move, Steve. Oh, but he does. And Nelson looks out of it from then forward. I don't know if he hit his head or what happened, but he was not moving around too well after that as Rick Steiner puts him out of his misery with a belly-to-belly in three minutes and 22 seconds. But I love that kid cracking Nelson with the tag team title. It was good stuff. Oh, yeah. I think JR put it over. He's like, watch it there, kid. You got to wait till you're a little older to be doing this or something. But uh, really cool. Uh, The Steiners are having a blast out there. I don't know what's with these jobbers. Not feeling it's safe. It's a new wave. Yeah, it's a new Steiner wave brothers. of Steiners. Or um, Steiners. It's a new wave of job guys here lately, though, uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, no, but I mean, I mean, just in general, even the Steiner brothers are kind of a new wave of wrestlers, uh, right. where they're just tossing dudes around. Where you, you have people that would beat the hell out of you, but it's more clubbing, and then you just do the doomsday and you're gone, or power bomb and you're done. Steiners are suplexing you for hours. You know, feels like. And so they probably just don't feel safe taking some of these moves. But the biggest thing you can do to negatively impact that is to fight it. Yeah, Distrust it's the most dangerous thing. I, I've, I've said that for years. The most dangerous thing you can do yeah. is to not go with the move because that's when bad exactly. things happen. Yeah, and uh, I know we'll talk about that <laughs> next week. But uh, right. Like you're just going to get hurt. You're going to either cause Scott or Rick to get hurt, or you're going to really hurt yourself. And um, you just got to trust them that they're going to protect you and uh, get you in the move and get you down safely. When you start to wiggle and do stupid shit like that, you're not going to land the way you need to, and it's going to cause problems. You just got to be you got to be trustworthy. Show goes on, and Jim Ross now interviews the Steiners. They say Starcade is an invitation to a car crash. And that doesn't bother the Steiners one bit. Rick says he's been in a lot of car crashes. That made me groan because it makes me go back to early 89 when they uh, insinuated that Kevin Sullivan had caused Rick Steiner to go retarded, if you will, from well, a car crash. He also said uh, he wants, he's been in a lot of car crashes and nothing happened to him, but which is a direct, uh, you know. Well, it's Rick Steiner. Maybe he doesn't know anything earlier. happened to him. Right. He forgot what happened <laughs> back know. in March when Missy heart. and Eddie were keeping their eye on him, you know, right. living right. with him. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. And, and Alex, Who too. Cares? Whatever happened to Alex. Yeah. Back to the ring. It's Maybe the Midnight Express. Somewhere. Yeah, poor Alex. It's the Midnight <laughs> Express thing. <laughs> oh, you think Alex is at Missy's house? Mm. Could be. Oh, my. <laughs> I'd like to see that on tape. The Midnight Express take on Lee Scott and Jason Walker, but the Midnights are not dressed to wrestle. Stan Lane says the greatest team in the world today, that's the Midnights, they won't be wrestling these nothing-happening punks. They won't waste their times to change into wrestling gear to wrestle these goofs. Referee Nick Patrick will count them out if they don't wrestle. Stan Lane says, go right ahead. And Lee Scott waited all year, Steve, but it's finally happened. Lee Scott wins a match, albeit by forfeit, but Lee Scott has won a match here against the Midnight Express, and Stan Lane congratulates them. Uh, They're one of the few teams who have ever defeated the Midnights. Then they attack the job guys (laughs) and beat the shit out of them. 
I was all pumped for a Midnight Express versus Lee Scott match, but the angle was just as fun. Oh, the angle was great. And I love the fact that they, you know, congratulated them on their win and talked, hyped it up saying, you know, not a lot of people beat the Midnight Express in their career. And you guys have. So very, very well done angle here. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and this plays into it. They like, it's really clever. Uh, that's all I'll say. Kind of a, a, a teaser for later on next week, but, uh, it's very, very clever what Cornette's done because I know he's booking this. This is Cornette, and uh, it's excellent. We go on with a promo from the Midnights and Jim Cornette. Cornette said the fans were the reason the Midnights hadn't been successful over the past year. They then challenged the Dynamic Dudes to a match. They also challenged NWA World Champion Ric Flair to face Bobby Eaton in a title match the following week on the main event. That'll be a fun one. And it's back to the ring where Sting... Beats Agent Steel with the Stinger Splash and Scorpion Deathlock in 2 minutes and 23 seconds into a pre-tape promo with the total package. He's taken out Brian Pillman. He's taken out Sting and Flair at the Clash. He has everything it takes to be at the top, and he doesn't care how he has to do it. He wants everything, including the world title. And then Jim Ross interviews Ric Flair. Promo time with the world champion. Tonight, it's the great Muda, who has never been pinned. Flair talks Muda tonight and then Starcade and Lex Luger. Whatever happens with Sting, Flair says, happens. It is what it is, I guess, according to the Nature Boy. He says he's going to knock the Chinese-Japanese pearly whites down <laughs> Muda's throat. It's, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, back then they didn't, you didn't have to subconsciously think about it. You just said whatever was on your mind. and Surely by really this cared. point, Ric Flair knows Smoothis from Japan. Ric Flair's wrestled in Japan. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I don't, I don't mean that. I am just mean like he's just throwing shit out there. He doesn't right. care. When you don't have to think about it, you just don't really care what you're saying. Yeah. When you got to think you. about it and worry about what you're saying, they'll, they'll, you just don't say it. So, I get it. Um, I get it. <laughs> it's so crazy, man, watching these years. I'm even watching some other stuff and during work and <laughs> – like Shawn Michaels talking about doing Mexican hat dances on Tito Santana for, at WrestleMania and get 15 of his family members to get in his aunt Chevy. And I'm just like, this is 92 and this shit's okay. Like, <laughs> it's so crazy to think about like what a wrestler could say to get some heat and nobody even care. And, um, just, uh, wow. It's mind boggling. Like take me back to a world where this was the, the not normal. Cause it shouldn't be normal. I'm not saying that at all, but, uh, we shouldn't be walking on eggshells. Um, no, I agree. It was simpler times. I think a lot of people take a lot of things yeah. too seriously today. For granted. Yeah. I think we took a lot of things for granted back then. Right. I agree. <laughs> to the ring, it's Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, accompanied by Gary Hart, taking on Mike Justice, and he just eats Justice up here in the diving splash. Jim Ross says, the dog flies. But unfortunately, he also lands. Good line there by Jim Ross is, Buzz Sawyer picks up the win here. Always makes the most out of his squashes, does the Mad Dog. I do got to make a comment here. I love how he like arches his back when he before he jumps off. Before he takes a leap, like yeah. Did, yeah, like when he's he's not just getting up there and jumping off. He's like arching his back all the way back. It's almost like a slingshot type deal where he's he's pulling back and then he just lets go and. uh it's excellent. And then he does that scream. Well, you, you've oh, seen man. those it, movies where the Coke addicts stand on the rails of like high up, you know, apartment building complexes and things, right? That's what, you know, that's what Buzz Sawyer's doing here. He's standing on the, 
on the ropes. And... <laughs> I, I don't care what he's doing. It's excellent. Um, very, very good. Buzz is pretty damn awesome. Yeah, good stuff. It's promo, time. it's promo time from Buzz Sawyer and Gary Hart. Buzz told Gary that Terry Funk was a quitter all along. He says, remember the Alamo? All Texans are quitters. Woof. Uh, Buzz would rather die than quit. Gary Hart says J-Tex is bigger than Terry Funk. The corporation was built around taking the world title, and it may just happen in a few minutes, referencing the main event, which has already been announced as a non-title match, Gary. Nice try. As we go to the main event, it's world champion Ric Flair taking on TV champion Gray Muda with Gary Hart and the Dragon Master now named. Muda has been cooled off so much over the fall, Steve, that TV title almost an afterthought. It's like Muda never really defends it very much, and he's still undefeated, though, so he's got that going for him here. Dragon Master needs his hat back, I wrote. He's really lost his character since removing that hat. I, I have no interest in him all of a sudden. <laughs> it just doesn't look nearly as cool. I don't know who, who made him take that damn hat off, but I, I wish he'd go find himself another one. Match starts out with a feeling out process. Ric Flair works the arm of Muda. Muda takes over and works the leg of Ric Flair, even locks in the Muda lock. Upside down surfboard, and we go into commercial. The match goes to the floor. Ric Flair fights back on Muda. Flair then works the leg and goes for the figure four. But the Dragon Master attacks, causing a disqualification 16 minutes. Of a fun TV match, I thought. And then after the match, Ric Flair fights off the Dragon Master, even locks in the figure four leg lock on Dragon Master on the floor outside. Muda rolls outside and nails Ric Flair with the red mist to the face. And then Buzz Sawyer joins Muda in a two-on-one on the Nature Boy. Sawyer lands that dev devastating diving splash on Flair before Muda hits Flair with the moonsault. And then pins Flair, quote-unquote pins Flair, as Buzz makes the one, two, three count for Muda on top of Ric Flair. We get a We Want Sting chant from the crowd, but you have to remember it's been pointed out during commentary, Jim Ross, wise enough to announce that Sting has already left the building. Of course, the fans in attendance don't know that, so they're probably sitting there wondering, why the fuck is Sting not coming out here and helping the Nature Boy? But uh, I thought it was a good angle post-match, which they needed. Yeah, it wasn't bad at all. I thought it was a good match. It was a shit finish, but I didn't expect either one of these guys to do a job on TV. I didn't even mind the finish. It was fine. Um, you kind of expected it. I, it's something that Muda needed. I mean, he's, he's been put on the back burner in this, even going into this Ironman tournament, that you almost wish he wasn't even involved with it. I would have just put Buzz in there at this point because he's, he's yeah. coming in hot and he's getting into the angles and he's doing more. Whereas Muda has been cooled so much, I know he's. My only worry is then Buzz would have been doing it. doing the three jobs, so that would have not been. Yeah, a good well, idea. Buzz is Buzz, and he's gonna <laughs> uh, he's gonna mess up his his opportunity anyway. Let's be honest, right? So I would rather take that chance and burning the bridge with Buzz yeah, over somebody been, like the town and Great Muda for ten years almost. I think at this point, so yeah. yeah so I, but Muda needed this, and uh, he needed that. Even though it wasn't a real win, just seeing him pin Flair like that helps visually with people. And um, I'm not saying he looks strong here at all. He looks the weakest out of the four contenders in the tournament. And uh, you you kind of start to get worried. You start to worry about him heading into it. And we all know what happens at Starcade. So uh, the worries were warranted. And uh, it's unfortunate because ever since he won the title on a house show to Sting, it's been downhill ever since. Yeah, that was pretty much it. It was like, okay, now you have the TV title, and now we're going to stop pushing you. 
even though he was in the Clash main event, even though he was in Thunderdome, he's really just a a guy who has a spot in these matches. He's yeah. It's all about Gary Hart and whoever Gary Hart can bring in to take out Ric Flair. And that's it. Like great Muda was never really that guy. He's just kind of been there and, uh, dumbasses. <laughs> Next week on the Saturday night program, it's the dudes taking on the midnight. So you have that to look forward to. If, if you look forward to Can't things wait. like that, that's, uh, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. And, uh, I'm actually to, enjoying the angle, man. I'm, I'm enjoying oh, the, the angle's story. tremendous. The angle's tremendous. It, but then if you, if you could so just do this angle out. without the dudes having to wrestle, that's the key. Yeah, here. Well, that's that's true. Uh, without Johnny Ace wrestling, yeah, well, um, if he just stayed on the apron and fucking whatever. Yeah. He wouldn't even do that because he doesn't <laughs> like to crowd or do anything. No, he just yeah. Fuck but ass. uh, but no, it, the story's so good though, man. It makes you want to see what they do week to week, and that's what that's what he was so good at at Smoky Mountain Wrestling. No matter how many times you've seen the rock and rolls and the and the heavenly bodies feud. Or Jim Cornette in the in the rock and roll feud, or him with the R and R, it never got old because he could add new twists and turns to it every single time, and you just don't know where he's going to go with things. And it's excellent. It's yeah, a great it, story. It works it's a lot better when the team like, is is you know good too, though. That's that's yeah that's the yeah yeah. That, the matches have to matter, but at the same time, the story is definitely good. No, so I'm gotta, on board. I'm enjoying kinda, it. It's uh, it's been. Got to go with the. It's really Take the good with the the horrible, uh, the absolute atrocious. You got to take the good with the atrociousness. Yeah, which which (laughs) sucks. Good way to put it. And we're gonna close out this week's (laughs) grenade. We're gonna talk about November twenty sixth. We're closing out November, Steve. It's the NWA main event, November twenty sixth. Tape back on November thirteenth in Corpus Christi. Jim Ross hosts. Lance Russell on commentary because he's too southern to host. Maybe I don't know. So Lance Russell can't host the show, but. He can do the commentary. Makes no sense to me. Buzz Sawyer to the ring with Gary Hart, taking on Richie Rogue. He nails the Vader splash in the corner, then a belly-to-belly, and a diving splash. Beats Rogue in a minute and 46, but he goes back to the top rope. As Lee Scott checks on his buddy, Richie Rogue. We've never seen this Richie Rogue before. Uh, Buzz then challenges Scott to a match instead. So two Buzz Sawyer matches for the price of one including Lee Scott involved. I'm down. And Lee Scott with a slap oof, to Buzz Sawyer, who no-sells it. Then he flings poor Lee out of the ring. Just just a nasty asshole, I wrote. Just careless and nasty as he suplexes Scott on the concrete. Then a nasty backbreaker, just absolutely careless, and it looked like he did it on purpose. Gary Hart wants Buzz to fly, so it's diving splash time. Buzz Sawyer with another win. This time, two minutes and 25 seconds over Lee Scott. Buzz Sawyer, two for one here to kick off the show. <laughs> Not a bad way to start the show. It's unfortunate Lee Scott to take that punishment. Um, it's it's one thing to go out there and put yourself on the line, you know, selling and making it look like you're really getting your ass kicked and killed, like on those backdrops and stuff. I think he's having fun with that. But when a dude's just taking liberties just because he can. And Buzz or, or has been doing that like for years against the job guys. He's been doing that. I mean, you go back to those Georgia. It's, uh, it's, it's sickening sometimes. It, it is. And Lee Scott deserves better than that. I don't know this Richie Rowe guy, but you could tell Lee Scott was, you know, Cornette probably picked him so he can get a win. Like, dude, you've been getting killed all year. Let's give you a bone here, even though you're going to get your ass kicked afterwards. You still gave him the bone, you know. and. 
so clearly he's respected by the guys in the back. And for Buzz to just do whatever the hell he wants to do is pretty shitty. Buzz gonna be Buzz. And, uh, yeah, yep. we continue on promo time by Ric Flair. He talks Starcade, specifically here, Lex Luger. And a response by Lex Luger, who focuses both on Sting and Flair in his promo. And I wrote, why no mention of Muda? I mean, he's got to wrestle the great Muda. I understand they're both heels, but still, you got to start working that in there. After Clash of the Champion, it's the world title. And Lex Luger says he's getting it next. Of course, he's got to get through Starcade first. There's no world title on the line there. Jim Ross actually says Lex Luger destroyed the world at Clash 9. That's one way to put it. Jim Ross really strongly putting over Luger here week to week on commentary. It almost it almost makes you feel like you have to go with Lex Luger in this tournament, uh, the way they're pushing him. Like how strong he is, I get it. Maybe they're trying to do that to protect him because they know it's not going to happen. So, but at the same time, why are you putting this much effort, energy, and everything else in the Lex Luger uh, just for him to come up short? That just kills all momentum he has. So, a lot of questionable booking uh, going into and out of Star K. That makes absolutely no sense. And I would definitely do the whole show different, but I think that's something we could talk about during the show. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. When we get there in a couple of weeks. So, so uh, we'll continue on two with the steps action. Forward. Two, yeah. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's hot stuff. Eddie Gilbert taking on the Cuban assassin. Could it be Steve? Could it be the Cuban this takes over early? Nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it, Cuban takes over here. Keeps Eddie on the floor quite a bit early in the match. Eddie tries the same with Cuban. Uh, nails an impressive sunset flip back inside, though I thought. And then it's a very long chin lock spot, but Eddie makes the comeback. Slide through sunset flip. Yes. Eddie Gilbert picks up a win. Can't use, can't do it with the hot shot, but he does get the win. Holy shit. Eddie Gilbert picks up a win here of the Cuban on the way out of 1989 match went six minutes, 46 seconds. Hot stuff picks up a victory. Can't even get it definitively. No, do a sunset flip move. Like, come on. It's been that way all year. I think he's won like two matches with the hot shot. He's been doing jobs with Tommy rich. On the, like he hasn't even been on TV though. Like I he was on the Clash. They month. lost. The, they lost the Doom, right? Wasn't it the Clash or was it? Yeah, it was Clash. Oh shit! See, that's how bad it's gotten for Eddie Gilbert. <laughs> I was like surprised to see him on TV. It's like, oh shit, Eddie Gilbert. How old is this match? That's how I felt. <laughs> right. Well, he um, won, so you so, definitely want to ask that question. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, what the hell is going on here? He's been gone. Maybe it's just like, I don't know. He was a jobber at the Clash, but I don't remember seeing him on TV a lot. It's just so sporadic and right. out of nowhere. I think that's what it is. No consistency with Eddie Gilbert, except consistently having to lose or win by the skin of his teeth. That's really the only consistency in his life right now, as far as WCW goes. That's a very true statement for poor Eddie Gilbert. As we close out the show with more Clash of the Champions highlights, and then it's the Lex Luger flying Brian angle from Worldwide, where Lex ties Pillman up in the ropes and grabs the chair. Sting makes the save. And we close the show with the same Sting and Pillman promo from Worldwide. And that'll wrap up the main event. And just really quick, some rating talk. And we're done this week. World Championship Wrestling, the Saturday night program on November 25th, drew a 3.1 a 3.1 rating with Flair and Muda on top. The That rating was the highest WCW has done going back well over a year. So it's the highest of all of 1989 right now. Even more impressive is the rating was achieved going head-to-head 
with the Miami Notre Dame college football game, which was the highest rated college game in two seasons. Also, the NWA main event with the Luger and Pillman match did a 3.1, which matches the 3.1 World Championship Wrestling did. And the Power Hour from Friday with the Flair and Rotunda replay did a 2.5. So, yeah, Flair's booking. Here we are, World Championship Wrestling, the highest rating of the entire year. I'm not surprised. I mean, that's what happens when you got somebody the caliber of Ric Flair and then Muda is Muda. Uh, I know he's been kind of cooled a lot going into this, but at the same time, they had that hot angle at the end of the clash that did pretty good ratings, obviously the second highest uh, up to this point. So people know who they are. They know the stories. They're following along. And it's actually been really good, really good TV, uh, especially the main shows, you know, your power hours, main event and Saturday night. It's been very, very solid. Syndication's okay, but syndication is definitely an afterthought when it comes to the NWA, WCW, for the most part. The fact that they had a show recorded on the 1st of November, that was as good as it was on, on what was it, this 18th? 17th, I think, something like, yeah, 17th, 17th or 18th. That tells you all you need to know about how much of a difference this booking committee is compared to what they've had uh, in the past this year, so... Like if that was George Scott, imagine, how, how, how terrible that would be. How out of whack this Ooh. would have been. Yeah, prior prior to this booking committee with Flair and yeah, uh, Cornette and Sullivan running the the TV. Oh my god! Without them, like I don't know how bad it would have gotten. That would have been horrible, and uh, it it probably feel like it was like a month behind if it was recorded that far out. So, kudos to these guys to keeping up on it, keeping stuff relevant, not getting lost in recording so far behind. Uh, excellent, excellent job. A very, very entertaining television, and um, they've been on point. So I'm happy, you know, going into the Great American Bash, was really, I was pulling for them to get a good number at the Omni because that last Bash show was heavily, heavily promoted. So you like to see them do well when they're doing what they should be doing to get those numbers. Right. These guys are killing it. They deserve it, and so hats off to them. I know it's revisionist and it's old, but it's nice to see that the the reward, the reward they got it. So yeah, I agree. And that wraps up November of 1989 in the national wrestling Alliance and world championship wrestling, which means there's only one month left to go here in 1989, the month of December coming up next week. It's two more weeks of NWA TV for December, 1989 in two weeks time. It's our final watch along. Here in 89, Starcade 89, the Iron Team and Iron Man tournaments, Future Shock. And then we conclude it with the final three weeks. That's the final three weeks of December, of course. And it's all over with. It's uh, all said and done as far as the NWA 1989 goes. And then the following episode will be a special award show and recap show. We're going to talk about some of the things we remember fondly, maybe relive some of the best sound bites of the year and uh, give away a few awards, uh, well-deserved awards, I'm sure, <laughs> um, as we close everything out. And another big part of that show is we're going to be announcing, and that show will also culminate the week of WrestleMania week, I should point out. Uh, we're going to be announcing our next venture into the Grenade series. Where do we go from 1989? Where do we go from the NWA? You guys will have to tune in and find out. Maybe I'll drop a hint or two along the way, but you'll have to wait until the awards show to find out exactly what's next here on the Grenade. Steve, it's uh, we're 11 months in. One more to go. One to go. That's crazy. Crazy to think about, man. It's been a, it's been a crazy ride. 
hopefully uh hopefully you guys like where we're heading next i'll, I'll say that but we got to finish up nwa first that's right it's five weeks of tv and one more pay-per-view and It'll all be done over the next four weeks, so you guys stick with us. We'll be back again with the another two weeks, like I said, of NWA goodness as we kick off December of 1989. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Steve, man, I appreciate you doing this again. We're up late. We're getting this done. I'm really excited moving into the end of the year. Me too. It's really starting to pick up. Life's been crazy, so I know we've been behind a little bit, but uh, we'll make it work. and. Um... We'll try to get another episode recorded rather quickly instead of uh, getting <laughs> getting to the end of the end of the week here um, to get it. So you have enough time. I'll do better on my part to help you out. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll pull the curtain back a little bit here at the end, but yeah, um, I'm ready to roll for the next week's episode as well. So um, we'll get that out and um, moving right along, man. Yeah, and shout out to the guys who've been helping us out, finding footage that has been thought to be missing for over 30 years to um, guys like Richard Land. And, uh, you know, um, I'll even pat my own back. I found a couple episodes myself that <laughs> were thought to be missing that I taped all those years ago out of my storage room. So uh, it's uh, it's cool unearthing things that nobody really has seen in quite a long time. Yeah. And we'll see what we can uncover here in 1980, or excuse me, in December, because there's quite a bit supposedly missing. And I feel like I have a pretty good feeling I can find two or three of the six missing shows. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, until next time, guys, Steve, like I said, I appreciate you doing this. And I appreciate all you guys continuing to listen and subscribe to the grenade at wrestling grenade on Twitter. And uh, you guys just keep hanging in there. We'll be back soon with another edition of the memory grenade. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. And once again, I've got to say thanks to all of our loyal listeners. We appreciate you listening, subscribing, and downloading The Grenade. You can find The Grenade, Monday Warfare, the WrestleCopia News Network, and other upcoming podcasts over at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And all of your favorite podcast streaming apps from Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Pod, Podcast Addict, and so many more. Remember to follow The Grenade on Twitter, at Rasslin Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Lastly, I encourage everyone once again to please have a look at our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. I encourage you to please subscribe at least one month. Give it a try and join in on the fun. There's no commitment. Cancel at any time. But we'd like to think you'll stick around based on the offerings available. It's 14 tiers of goodies over there, and it all starts as low as a buck. A $1 tier. We've really been pumping out a series of watch-alongs ranging from the WWF Coliseum video series to random pay-per-views, including 1995 pay-per-views that make a great complimentary piece to the Monday Warfare podcast. We invested quite a bit of money into the podcast network up front, and we want to keep the Grenade, Monday Warfare, and other planned podcasts up and running for 2021, so we'd greatly appreciate your subscription to ensure that we continue to produce quality products each and every week. So please stop over. That address again is patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. And please subscribe, show some love, let us know you care, let us know you're there. And with all of that out of the way, it's that time again. Time to say goodbye, but we will return next week. Until that time, this is Ray Russell, and for my co-host Stephen Ekstat saying, from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. There.
Arcade 89. Future Shock. Wednesday, December 13th, Turner Home Entertainment presents the pay-per-view event of the decade. Ric Flair, Lex Luger, The Great Muta, and Sting battle each other individually, while tag teams, The Road Warriors, Skyscrapers, Steiners, and Doom take on one another in one fall, 15-minute bouts, where sudden death rules. Starcade 89, Future Shock. Call your cable operator for availability.